Today is Thursday. There are 1,200 minutes of productivity remaining before the weekend. And we're glad you're spending some of them with the Disenfranchised Podcast. That's right. We're that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me, as always, a man who knows firsthand that butter doesn't discriminate. It's my co-host, Brett Wright. Brett, a Jeffers evening to you, sir. Hello, Stephen. Jeffers evening to you as well. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing okay. I've been feeling a little explodey lately, so we'll we'll see what happens yeah, there. We gotta I keep guess. that rabbit in, man. I feel like you're on the brink of explosion at any minute. We gotta I you know, you know, it's happened before. It might happen again. Who hey, knows? look, I've been there. I was I was this far away from explosion once. That's, that's true. It? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you pulled yourself back from that edge, man. That's that's a dark and scary yeah, place. You got you gotta process stuff sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Also joining us this week, a man who will do number eight hundred with the butter. Uh, it's our co-host Tucker. Tucker, Jeffers evening to you, sir. And a Jeffers evening to you, dear Stephen. Uh, I'm not going to ask you how you are, because even though I've been doing this for roughly a year, I never realized that that, that there's an exchange right before ours to where someone else asks you how you are and you say how you are. And this is, is indicative I can repeat of, myself. Of I do it all the time. My, I, used be, I used to be a teacher. I know all about repeating I, myself. The thing is, is I don't really pay attention as much unless I'm involved. Uh, I've noticed. Know, like, I'm always, yeah. like I'm always saying, like, why would I look at a picture that I'm not in? Correct. You know? Yep. It's that same kind of deal. Like, you know, I don't listen as much if I'm not involved in the conversation. So usually when you're doing Brett's intro, I'm just waiting for my turn to talk. Yeah. It, ironically, it's exactly like it's having like having a conversation with you. So that's yeah. fucking wild. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it's pretty wild in point of fact. Um, but we are also joined tonight by... The vice president of the Tucson Local 33 Musicians Union and the man behind the grand voodoo band. Please welcome. Uh, he's also, I have it on good authority, a pole vault enthusiast. Uh, please welcome Evan Tui to the podcast. Evan, welcome, bud. Hi, thanks for having me. We are um, very I, excited. I to am have you. very excited as well. Right on. How You doing all right tonight, man? You doing okay? Absolutely. Right on, I am right on. Uh, I am excited for a Jeffers evening filled of fun and hopefully like minor explosions. Well, minor, if, just, if at all, just if a at good all, kind. minor, just a yeah, good kind. maybe just a few, like right. a sneeze or two. L mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but um, I hope you all aren't dreaming and um, not if I can help. Yeah. Him. Right on. Yeah. Uh, well, and Evan, you have picked uh, the movie that we are discussing today. And what movie have you selected for us, sir? The film is called Visioneers. It is from 2008. And it is a film that I stumbled upon uh, many, many years ago. Um, just kind of by chance. I was on a like a dystopian dark comedy sort of um you know, spiel, and I just kind of stumbled upon it, and I kind of fell in love with it immediately, and ended up coming back to it until I I lost base with it for a while. And last year, when I was back in town in my hometown in Indy, um, I was at a Dollar Tree, and in the bargain one dollar bin uh, in the DVD section were two copies of. 
Visioneers, and I was is it, like, "Is a dollar a bargain me. at the Dollar Tree?" I think I thought everything was a dollar at Dollar. Dude, Tree. Okay, so some movies are like not worth the dollar. I'll be honest, but finding a film like it. Visioneers that is like, frankly, to most people, is a film that they can mostly leave it. But I'm here to take it because okay. I'm all about this film. Um, and you know I feel like funny? I'm like, what? I was going to say what's funny is a lot of the reviews that I read on Letterboxd about this movie mention that you can get it for a dollar at Dollar Tree. <laughs> Are you serious? I am so totally at least three Dang, reviews right. mentioned that they were like, I found this at wild. Dollar Tree. You can like, also watch it free with commercials on Tubi or Freevee or pretty much any it's site that you can watch things Peacock. free with ads. Yeah, I watched it on but Peacock. But it's different. Yeah. It's it's hard to filter. Th- it's it's not the same as a bargain bin at uh, Dollar Tree where you can actually see the covers with your own hand and flip it over and see the cast and everything right there. Oh, no, and... we are physical media apologists on, on this Exactly, podcast, for sure. exactly. Yeah. Like, it's hard to, it's easy to get lost in the sea of content. Uh, and it's, you know, it's also not the flashiest of Zach Galifianakis's roles and you know like the opposite like, of flashy really which honestly that's what i'm all about with this film because okay. it subverts expectations in terms of like his role um yeah especially like right off the heels of hangover um, oh this comes out right before hangover actually yeah but um i feel like a lot of people since it came out at the same time i think that a lot of what happened especially the fact that this was released in such a way that i think most people saw it either streaming or like secondhand on like physical media somehow like i'm not sure about it's like theatrical release if if any but um this movie got a lot of slack because it was the opposite of what he was doing with the hangover yeah so people have this like expectation of zach galifianakis being wacky and silly and you know witty and you know and it's like not that at all and yet it's like the perfect role for this guy so if god forbid seen... anybody have range right, right. exactly exactly but <laughs> well, if you know you've seen any of galifianakis's stand-up it's very dry and very like it it, it verges on well, i mean if you've seen between two ferns man like even right. that yeah well and that that's that that makes sense for you jimmy that's right up your alley like that just kind of oddball surreal just like weirdness you know this dude likes like eric andre and tim and eric and stuff like that so i think zach galifianakis especially if he's doing something like he's doing in this movie that's right up your alley dude right and And this is i appreciate taking the risk yeah yeah i appreciate taking the risk and being like you know this might turn off some fans of mine but like this isn't that movie for them so well and this is a funny this is a funny movie but zach galifianakis is not funny in it no one is funny in this movie it's the situation missy Missy pile is doing some missy pile's doing some great shit in this movie well yeah she's a bit silly but i shout out to my girl missy pile it's a really strong cast Um, it is and the script is really well written yeah absolutely zach galifianakis judy greer the great mia maestro uh, Missy Pyle, James LaGrosse, D.W. Moffat, Aubrey Morris, M- Matthew Glaive, Chris Coppola, Fanny Masterson, like great gr- Pat Cashman, just some great performances in this movie. Yeah. And I mean, not to mention like 
like for an art film, like you can really, um, you can do a lot. And I feel like this movie does, but it's also subtle about what it's doing the entire time as well. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, I've seen this movie multiple, multiple, multiple times, and there's just little things that pop up. Like this time it was a lot of the, you know, um, cinematography and the score like really stuck out to me on this watch. Um, um, and more of like a meta analysis of where this was in 2008 with the financial crisis that was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to like the start of um, the opioid crisis as well. Um, those aren't lost on me. And um, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I'm just so curious to hear what your guys opinion is because I've shown people this film before and it's gone either of two ways and they either really love it or they're like, what the hell is this? That based on what I saw on letterbox, that seems to be the distinction. Like this is kind of, it seems to be for a lot of people a love it or hate it kind of movie, just based on what I've seen. Um, So yeah, I mean, Jimmy, you kind of shared, or sorry, Evan, you shared some. I, Tucker's we the should only address one. that so the audience <laughs> yeah. knows what's going on. Tucker, explain this shit. Yeah, you, take it away. Take what it hast away. thou wrought here, you bitch? So this 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 man that sits before us, uh, the one and only Evan Tui, um, he is my bestest of friends. We are the bestest of pals. We are straight up brothers. Um, but for some reason, I call him Jimmy. This is this is Jimmy to me. Why do you I, call him this, Jimmy Tucker? Who is this Evan person? I don't know. Honestly, honestly, at one point, many, many moons ago, <laughs> um, I believe Tucker like and I started hanging out and he in classic Tucker form was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, the, my name's Evan. And he's like, yeah, I don't like that. I'm not going to call so, you that. Like, I'm going to give you, you a something nickname. else. You have <laughs> you gave me the option of an alternative and i was like well there's this like dumb persona that is named jimmy jam johnson and he's like that's perfect you're jimmy and i was like jimmy <laughs> jam and you were like no drop the jam you're just jimmy drop the jam remember, it's cleaner do you remember and when i took it like, too far and i started calling you jim but like i would end every sentence jim. addressed to you with jim and you were like, you, no, we, after about six hours, you were like, no, this is, we're not doing this. <laughs> you really leaned into it. And it I was, did. it was a hot, probably August day in yeah, what your you think sister's there, shed of playing music. Uh, what do you think, there, Jim? Jim? <laughs> well, dead, Jim, Jim. <laughs> that was some fine playing on the guitar, Jim. Like you just like really hammed it up. And I had to be like, Hey, um, my name's not Jim. You can call me Jimmy. You can't kill it. I have a really hard time believing that Tucker would take a joke and just drive it straight into the ground like that. That is just so out of character for him. I don't know. Yeah. You find yourself going, where's the floor? Because I thought we would have hit it by now, but we just keep... we keep going. You start checking your watch. You're like, wow, this is astounding. Yep. This is still happening. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, I'm impressed at this point. <laughs> I'm not even mad. <laughs> I'm not even mad. I, I tip my hat to you. It's been beaten so much. Yeah, that's right. Stop, stop. It's already dead. Um, okay. But, you know, I, as I've, as I've um, 
mentioned previously on the podcast, I do, I have, there's something wrong with my brain where I don't like saying people's real names. It seems too, uh, too formal. Um, and honestly, the only reason that Steven and Brett don't have nicknames is because I met them sort of in a professional capacity. And, you know, I was a guest on the show. And so I know them as Steven and Brett. We didn't meet in the normal way that I meet people. I met, so I met you, you before you were have... on the podcast. We met. Yeah, but uh, I didn't know, I didn't know what your name or... was. I don't know who you are. Mm, I said like three sure. words to you, man. I don't even know if I would have said hi to you in the hallway. I wouldn't remember your ass. My favorite part was when you're talking to just like, who's the guy who does the German guy in these things? Who's 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 that guy? And I'm like, hi, that's that's me. And you're like, wait, you do that? And I was like, yeah, oh, that's... this idiot. Great. Moving on. <laughs> what does it have to do with me? Oh, I don't care. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> As established. Yeah. No, but I, I give people nicknames um, because, like I say, I don't I even my family members, um, my daughter. I was probably I can only think of about a handful of times I've called her by her actual name. Fair. Yeah. And, and the I nicknames mean, we, keep evolving. It's really amazing to we, to kind of go on the journey from good. where we started to where we are. It's just nonsensical. We're not even allowed to use your first name. That's how committed to this you are. So No, you're not. I mean you can't it's in the right? contract. It is. There is there is funny. one person who is, and he he used it a lot the last time he was on. He's grandfathered in. I don't know what to tell you. Right. Oh, look, I'm not I'm not mad about it. No, I'm not. It, I don't it even is what remember it is. what it is. It's used so infrequently. Like it's... nice. I like that. I like that, Brad. I love that. I guess that the moral of the story is that I ain't your Jimmy. I'm just Tucker's Jimmy. Yeah, yeah dude. So if so I keep, if I fuck up, up and call mouth. you if I fuck up and call you Jimmy Evan and I probably will because I am a very fallible, very tired man. Um, my apologies in advance. I will Don't withhold worry, I will, my rage, but I will I, call it out by doing a sharp inhale to show <gasps> surprise and shock. And <laughs> I mean, you're gonna offense. you're gonna suck all the oxygen out of that room pretty damn quick. I have You'll feeling. be like Jimmy, and I'll be like, <gasps> start clutching. My, I'll be I never. I'll well. probably do exactly <laughs> what I just did. I'll call you Jimmy and go, fuck, no, sorry, Evan. It's, it's probably exactly how it'll happen every time. Um, uh, but sorry, that. to continue the point that I made, like, was trying to make <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Um, Two tangents ago. Evan, uh, you already kind of shared your history with this movie with us. Um, so let's let's kind of pass around the horn. Tucker, when did you, I'm, I'm guessing Evan showed you this movie uh, during your time rooming together? Actually, no. Okay, yeah. Uh, what, what happened? The first, the first that I heard about this film was when I said, "Hey, hey, Jimmy, you want to be on my podcast?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Well, like, but but what movie are we gonna watch?" And he's like, "I don't know." Straight up Visioneers, and that's that's <laughs> that's my complete experience with this film up until yeah. when I watched it. Cause, cause I mean, you told me about this movie and I was like, I've never heard of that. I don't know what that is. Does it fit the format? Well, I'll tell you, I nice. saw the cover of it when I was, when I first looked it up, what Jimmy told me about, told me about it. I saw the cover and I was like, Ooh, I want to go into this blind. So okay. I didn't, I did not engage with it at all until right. I knew we were doing this. Sure. And that's, then I watched I, that's it. That's what I do yesterday. with a lot of failed franchise starters. I haven't seen yet is I'm like, well, I know I'm gonna have to cover that at some point. So I'm just going to hold off until I have to. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I watched it last night. That was my first experience with it outside of knowing the name of it and some of the cast. 
Right on. Brett, I'm guessing same story. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Although, uh, I mean, I have seen this movie's sequel called Equilibrium, but you know. Ho! Not, not everybody. Did you see the spinoff called Brazil? Did mm. you see that? The, that's no. the prequel. The, the prequel, oh, it's the Brazil. Prequel. Got yeah. it. Okay. okay. I, uh, I fucking love Brazil. Brazil is one of my Dude, favorite movies. Me too. That's I one of the films. I fucking love Equilibrium. That... It's fantastic. Girl, me too. I got a job by knowing what that movie was about. We've discussed nice. this. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I I watched it as soon as Christian Bale got cast as Batman and was like, you know, Equilibrium is kind of his audition for Batman, um, no. which is such a stupid take. Um, it is. Absolutely, it is. But people people were passing that shit around back in the early 2000s. So I, that was how I watched Equilibrium for the first time. Uh, that movie also rips. But yeah, I had no context for this movie at all before it was brought to my attention. And I, I was I was by the end at the end, I was like, does this fit the format? I'm like, maybe we can talk about this. Like, is this a failed franchise? Too late now, like, motherfucker. Uh, it kind of is. Yeah. We probably should have figured that out before the recording. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, it, there's, there's some, it, so one of the reasons I love personally for me, I love dystopian fiction is the world building. Like I love, and I've, I think I've said this on this, on the, on the podcast before, like I love good world building. And so, particularly when you're constructing a dystopian landscape, whether it's like close to the society we live in and just a few degrees off, or if it's just like a far flung, like bureaucratic nightmare, like Brazil, um, it, the, the, you have to construct an entire world. You have to be able to explain, if not through the context of the film, at least the internal logic of the thing has to be consistent enough that you know how the world got to this point. Like the, cause dystopia is nightmare. Like that's what the genre is. And so the world building has to be very complete. And I was very impressed by the world. And this is one of those, just it's a few degrees off kind of movies. Like it's not, it has more in common between this and that is so thin. You know what I mean? Like it's, this is um, what I would call like chillingly plausible in terms of dystopia. Um, It has more in common, I would say with something like brave new world than it does with something like 1984 Fahrenheit 451. Well, the Um, setup in this movie really, really got me thinking about how I haven't watched the trial yet because the setup mm. for this movie, the first act is very Kafkaesque. Like, wow. (laughs) Like did somebody like bring that boy back and have him write the first act of this movie? Like it, it's it's presented in a in in that kind of way, mm-hmm. you know, where like you know something's fucked up, and you see a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and it keeps peppering in and peppering in, and fantastic first act. Well, in some sure. some of that, I wonder if like because there is by this point the dystopian genre is is well trodden, but like there's a shorthand, like a visual shorthand to a dystopia like to a dystopian reality, or there are certain visual shorthands you can employ and you can use. Mm-hmm. And this uses like the very sterile, open, empty, um, bleak, I will say. Um, the, like the, the office is just that kind of very open, very sterile, very bleak kind of setting um, that fits very well with what we kind of think of in our minds when we hear the word, uh, when we hear about a certain kind of dystopia, like a bureaucratic dystopia we picture something very much like this. 
Something and, like this or Severance. This I think Severance mm, owes a lot of its visual style to films like this. That's a good and call. maybe even sure. this film. Which I can't wait for that second season. Hope we get that. If sure. if we get that, God, yeah, I hope so. Apple it's TV just Plus just so went under up the radar. So like, well, this film just flew so under the radar that it's like anyone's guess at this point like who has seen this film and you know i'm kind of glad i'm kind of glad that it did though because one thing that it reminded me of above all of the influences that i could see in it and the things that it made me think of this reminds me of a a movie that i would have seen on hbo probably at about 10 or 11 o'clock at night on a thursday in the late 90s like this is a 90s art movie like, I don't know how it got made in 2008 because <clears throat> there wasn't shit being made like that in 2008. This this is a film out of time. It feels so it, many movies very similar to this, especially in the genre of right. like art flicks that are so similar to this in tone and execution from the 90s, uh, like stuff from Josh Turnbull, uh, Haiku Tunnel, stuff like that, that. It's like this film is it's out of time. It's not ahead of its time. It's not before its time. It's just it's out of time. It feels like the kind of classic indie that was being made in like the early Miramax years, like something like, Mm -hmm. like clerks or um, El Mariachi. Like it has that kind of like, yes, that kind of wing and a prayer. Yeah. That, that kind of wing and a prayer kind of um, filmmaking to it. But because you've got Zach Galifianakis, like right on the cusp of hitting uh, you've got the producer of this movie is one of the producers from Napoleon Dynamite. So he's able to pull from a well of talent that a movie like this might not have had access to otherwise. Like this is the kind of movie you expect to see like a bunch of actors you've never heard of before. Like some of those other movies that we that we just mentioned, like it, it's it got that kind of this. The script feels like that. But then you've got Galifianakis, you've got Judy Greer, you've got Missy Pyle. Um, Matthew Glaive from um, The Wedding Singer. Like you've got these kind of names and these faces that you kind of recognize. Um, Mia Maestro from Alias and Frida. Like you, so you've got She's these, these everything. She is, she is, she is ubiquitous and not in the way that you're like, God, I'm tired of seeing her. Like, but when she shows up, you're like, Oh my God, I, I love her. Why? What's she doing in this? That's fantastic. I knew um, it was her. As soon as I heard her voice, I, was, I looked it up right then. I was like, fucking knew it. Yeah, I, I, I saw the first thing I saw her in was Alias and I loved I because I, I was one of those Alias boys um, and then I caught Frida and on like IFC one night and I was like, holy shit, that's from that's what's her face from Alias. And so after that, I was I was a fan. So she's very good in the strain as well. Mm. Yeah, she's done. I have got her IMDb pulled up right so here because much. she's in literally everything. I mean, like she's in the Twilight Saga, um, Oliver Stone Savages, um, the Motorcycle Diaries. Um, she was on a few episodes of Scandal. Is that the one with Benicio del Toro in it? Because I feel like there are more Che biopics no. than just the Motorcycle Diaries. Was no, there, the, that's that was the, the Steven, one that was just called Che. Yeah, right? the Steven Soderbergh one. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. couldn't I never remember which one he's in. Nah, you're good, dude. Um, but yeah, I mean she's just she's just constantly working. And I'm I for one am glad of it because uh, she's in future episode of this podcast, Poseidon. Um oh, hey. we'll, we'll cover that one one day. 
Um, but yeah, she's just been working pretty steadily since the late nineties and good for her, man. I, I do enjoy when I, when I see her and stuff for sure. And I gotta say she's, um, not for nothing, but she's pretty easy on the eyes. She not hard to look at, not at all difficult to watch for long periods of time. Correct. Accurate. I will, I will second that. I will co-sign that. Um, but yeah, so, so you get access to like a cast and I think that kind of elevates this movie in a, in a way, but it doesn't really play outside of like the festival circuit. It goes almost directly to DVD. Um, there's not much of a, like there's no box office information. There's not much of a presence for this. So this feels kind of like one of those, if you know, you know, kind of movies. And if you don't, sorry about you, it is well, kind of how kinda, this thing feels. This kind of feels like direct, to dvd which is not always a bad thing because i don't there's no place for this kind of film in a movie theater who's gonna go watch this at the movie theater right like yeah this is this is something that you just randomly find on a shelf somewhere Mm -hmm. you know uh, like hey if this had been made about 20 years earlier i probably would have bought it off a mom and pop video store shelf randomly Mm -hmm. and watched it it's that kind of movie See, and that's what I mean when it's like, um, sure, it was released before The Hangover, but the majority of folks didn't see it until they were like trying to hype it up right. post-Hangover and be like, hey, by the way, you did you like that guy? Well, you might like this movie. It's and like when they like finally the release, though. It's like when they finally release Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation. They're like, what do we do with this? And then Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger hit. They're like, oh, that's what we do with it. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And like uh, reverse engineer the damn thing Mm -hmm. and try to remarket it in a certain different fashion. And it might have brought some people in and that might have stuck, but it was also kind of a risk because it's like people have this really ingrained idea of Zach Galifianakis and his performance and what his like typecast quote unquote role is. And this is not that film. Um, because at that point and, his persona yeah. was, his public persona was so singular because the hangover was the thing we knew him from. Like exactly. he was that guy from the hangover. And for many, he was totally. the best part of the hangover. So if that's what you're expecting going into this movie, you're going to be really disappointed because that's not what this movie is. And then the dude has out of all of the main cast, probably the lowest word count out of everybody. And Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And he's basically dissociating throughout the entire movie. So 90% of this movie is just him staring. And I was legit like as an actor, I was kind of amazed at, cause that shit is tough to play and he does it so well um like these these where people are just like talking to him and he's just expressing the subtlest of emotions like barely perceptible glints of emotion on his face and he's doing it so well like it's it's there was there was one instance that i noticed where they must not have gotten the take they thought they got because there's one where you can see that he's about to break right Mm. before they cut away from him and it's like i I see you and I understand and I would not have been able to keep it together as long as you have. So you may have this one, you know? And I mean, God knows, God knows how, how many takes they went through to get to that one. 
right? Because there, there are moments where if a thing is funny, it will continue to be funny. And oh, no matter man. how many takes you do, you've got to like do something to pull yourself out of that or you're going to have a bad time. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. When it comes to in, breaking. In the biz, they call that corpsing. And if you get on a corpse run, you you could very well be done. Like you're just yeah. not going to get the work done that you hope to get done just because someone gets a taste of the giggles. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's that's tough. And and again, it on something like that, it's really hard because you never know what's going to strike someone as funny. And when you're doing a comedy, sometimes it just feels really weird not to laugh. And for someone like Galifianakis who plays he plays this. And I think one of the reasons why he's so funny is because he knows how to play the sincerity behind the comedy. And that's tends to be what makes something funny is the sincerity of the moment. It's also something, I mean, it's, it's kind of an act. You have to find the truth behind the thing in order to make it funny. But if you're playing for laughs, if you're winking at the camera, it tends to not work as well as when you're playing the sincerity of the moment. And I think that's something that Galifianakis as a performer does extraordinarily well. Oh, he sells he it. Really Even the silliest shit. Yeah, I think he really trusted the yeah. vision that the the director and the writer both had, and were like, "I see what you're doing, and I trust you on this." Because he mm-hmm. doesn't overly ham it up. He really does just. It, it's a fantastic role for him, especially with like what he was doing at the time. To then to flip it on its head and be able to play the subtlety and play a more serious role when i try to like my my elevator pitch is always it's a dark comedy heavy emphasis on the dark like more dark less comedy you know what i mean like sure it's more it's less aha funny and more like uh kind of funny in a lot of ways and sure there's the gags and laughs so but... subtle in this yeah or it's unhinged and like but not not flashy unhinged, but it's doing it in a way that is just kind of, again, the subtlety of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think almost it's in a minimalistic in film, way. What makes this film funny are the situations and the, the context of all these scenes and the world that these people live in. It's just absurd. Like they don't have to be acting funny or acting silly. It's just the whole time you're watching this, as soon as you figure out what's going on, it's just funny. Like, they're not doing anything funny, but it's just funny that this exists and you're watching it. Like, the opening scene, the thing that struck me as so very funny is that he was getting, like, multiple phone calls a minute. And then he would say that he would have a conversation with someone from one of the upper levels in the organization. And then he would hang up the phone and then his coworker would basically ask him every question that he had just asked the person on the phone and he would just regurgitate their answers back to her. And that's the scene that happens. That plays out like three or four times. And that that's Mr. just Jeffers himself. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. And that's just the scene. That's just how it plays out. And it's it, it the absurdity of it. After about the fourth time, I'm like, what? what is this? What are we doing with this? Because again, and, and yeah, there's, there's humor and repetition and this is definitely one of those, but it's all played so straight and so serious that you're not sure if you can laugh. Like you're not sure where the, where the comedy begins and the tragedy ends. Like, cause it's all where are the lines. Yes. You know, exactly. You know, it also is one of those films that I, um, 
it it happens when you have a good script and good world building and a good vision but when you just drop the viewer into the environment and you do you give them just subtle hints and that's that's it and it's it you know like they're not going to spoon feed you and go you know like you know have to just go out of their way to make sure that you understand what's happening because it's it's going to happen at a certain point but the absurdity and the like like almost cognitive dissonance of being like this seems really similar to the world we're living in but all of this is off it's like a dream world in a way it's just so surreal right yeah and you know what really makes or breaks a scenario like that is consistency and this movie has it in spades that mm-hmm. i mean there's not as far as the world bending building goes there aren't any plot holes it tells you what it needs to tell you without outright telling you yeah and through consistency it drives all of that stuff home agreed and I think that's what makes the world building ultimately, I think that's what makes the world building so successful is it's got, it, it, it has that consistency and it, it gives you enough information without needing to, to spell out a through Z. Like you understand because there's a, a cor- you see the logo for the Jeffers corporation. the first thing you see. And then there's Mr. Jeffers. There's the picture of Mr. Jeffers. Like you understand, oh, this is the guy. There's a president of the United States, but he's clearly in the pocket for Jeffers uh, because he's basically another Jeffers pitch man. Like it, it all feeds in and they just feed you these people. You've got these, um, I forget what they call them, the un- unorganized territories. It's not right. It's the um, unrecognized undeveloped, zone. undeveloped, undeveloped, undeveloped zones. zones. Yeah. Um, and, and and that's all you need to see. And you know exactly what that kind of thing is. And then you visit it and you're like, oh, this is this is what life is like outside of the corporation. And and these things just start to click for you as you as you engage with this. And and all the pieces form the whole picture, but we're not dumping it all. There's not a lore dump, there's not an info dump at any point. It just kind of organically happens through the storytelling. And that's 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 the kind of world building I really appreciate. Yeah, that's something I've talked about before. Like as the lore guy as resident lore guy copyright um yeah i like i care about i want to know more about this world because it sort of drops little crumbs here and there and doesn't just Mm -hmm. dump everything on you or like answer a lot of questions right away or doesn't even care about answering questions that you might have about the world because it's not important um but just because the movie thinks it's not important doesn't mean i don't it's important right Um, and that bugs the shit out of people yeah i mean yeah i i was i went into it knowing that they weren't going to explain everything about the world so i didn't it didn't bother me that much um but i wanted to know more and i think that's that's always the sign of a good good world building and a good movie like this and again, you can tell that the screenwriter, and we should we should point out the director. Uh, this film was directed by Jared Drake and written by his brother Brandon Drake. Um, it's their first film, um, and out of like twenty to thirty ideas that they were kind of all spitting out, this is the one that they decided to make. And through kismet, it landed in the hands of uh, one of the producers of Napoleon Dynamite. It landed in the hands of Zach Galifianakis. Like it landed in the hands of the right people that basically once those names signed on, and there is kind of a bit of a Napoleon Dynamite-esque quality to this film, I will say. And uh, of that, I would say, is probably the part of the film that kind of like I liked the least because 
I'm on record as not being a big Napoleon Dynamite guy. I just don't get Napoleon Dynamite. And so the, the, that tone, it always kind of sits weird with me and it, it always kind of puts me off in a way that I don't enjoy. Um, so, but, but it finds the right people, all that to say it, it finds the right people. And that allows this, these two essentially film students to basically be able to make their first feature and kind of start to make a name for themselves. Um, they've not really done anything major. They're still kind of very small independent guys. I think uh, Jared Drake has made three films. He makes a, a family movie about a soldier returning from Afghanistan and a documentary about people trapped on a mountain. Um, so, and then a few short films. So not uh, not a lot under his belt, but you know, he's, he's working. He's still doing stuff. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad that this fell into the wrong hands, but I'm glad that it or into the right hands. I'm just glad uh, that it didn't fall into too many right hands because I really think the limited budget on this film sells this movie. It grounds this film. Like that's, that's their house. Like the dude, what wrote and directed that movie, that's their parents' house. Yeah. They, they filmed it in their small town in Washington. Um, They, the budget, I, there's no budget information. I read an interview with the director and he's like it less than a million. That's all I can say. Like this, this film was made on a wing. And, and again, it feels like it's made on a wing and a prayer. Like it's got that I, pure indie spirit to it. And I think it complements the film. I don't think it would be as good if there were more money to spend on it. I think it's right at that sweet spot. Like I've always said, some films really benefit from a, really low budget and this is one of those i like i say i think it grounds the whole film and some directors work really well in those environments and some really don't like you you've looked you look at an m night Shyamalan. we're going to cover a couple of his movies on this podcast one of these days but you look at someone like an m night Shyamalan, like he starts his career making like praying with anger uh wide awake um Six Sense, Unbreakable starts getting bigger budgets and the bigger those budgets get, the more unruly and out of control those movies are. And then he, when he comes back with the visit, he goes small budget, focus story, small setting, small cast. And that hits, that's a return to form in every movie he's made since then with the possible exception of glass, which brings back Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis should I um, watch that though? I still haven't seen it. Should I watch yeah, it? You I should really watch like you Unbreakable, should. and I thought Split was pretty good. Yeah, then you'll you'll have a good time. Um, I think honestly, I think Unbreakable, even though it's not in my top five of favorite movies, I think it's probably one of the best constructed films from a technical aspect that I've ever seen. Unbreakable is my favorite Shyamalan movie with a bullet. Like, yo, it's not those even close. same. Those like I think the average shot in that movie is somewhere around twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. So many oneies, dude. Mm-hmm. Like it. Ah, <laughs> it's like it's, the, it's a cinematographer's wet dream. Right. That movie. <laughs> it's so good. The but but you know all that to say like he he goes back to the smaller budgets, um, which I'm sure Glass probably had a little bit of a bigger budget just because of what that movie was, but it's still a very contained story. Uh, in terms of the narrative of the thing. Um, but he he consistently, and even though even when he's able to pull larger actors or, or more uh, well-known actors, he still keeps 
the budget tight, the location small, the setting, like everything is contained. Everything is, and because that's where he worked, he's, he's discovered through trial and error that that's where he works best. He works best in that zone. And he's, he's got a second leg of his career because of that. Um, we'll we'll cover a couple of his mega budget movies at, at some point. I think one of them we're planning on covering next year. Um, is it After Earth? It is After Earth. I've uh, owned that since it came out, and I've never watched it. You'll get your chance. I got it for free. Right on. I I was gonna say I hope you didn't pay money for that. Um, but no. So like Don't that. Tell me you paid money for this. <laughs> Jose Canseco bat. You didn't pay money for this. I love that. Um. But yeah, that, I mean, Break so, it. <laughs> but to be able to see, and, and again, I don't know that Jared Drake has enough to his credit to really be able to say, to say that he wouldn't do well with a larger budget, but some directors work best within those limited confines because limitations impel creativity. That's the white stripes right there, man. That's what Jack White was always saying about the white stripes, dude. Mm -hmm. He's like, look, Meg's not great, but the fact that like I'm limited to what she does makes me a million times more creative than I would be if I were playing with like the best musicians. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, To build on the music aspect is the... Let me check IMDb real quick. The score is done by Tim DeLauder. And um, he he he's like indie pop sort of stuff. Mm. He's got a he's got a band or two that have made some music for other films and such. But um, his piano work in this is really stripped down and very bare bones. And I think it lends itself really well to what the entire movie is going for as well. And um, it opens up at the very end. At it's, you know, crescendo at the climax with this absolutely lush arrangement with, mm. again, it's probably maybe like, you know, four or five instruments tops, but um it's gorgeous and it it just reflects this movie to where you know it's got this sort of like punk scrappy sort of attitude that flows throughout and everybody kind of like got the picture i don't know if it was like you know something that came along with like signing onto the project or if it was just some like cosmic psychic connection that people had to being like i get this vision i get what you're doing and like we're all on board and we all get, and it just synergized into this really weird, quirky, magnificent piece of late aughts cinema. And that could also be a testament to the filmmakers as well. Like Jared Drake's ability to cast a vision to his cast and crew. Uh, I mean, it could be any number of things, but yeah, it, it, the synergistically it, it does click. It's worth mentioning that, uh, the previously mentioned Tom DeLauder, uh, is most famous for being the front man of the polyphonic spree. Yeah, they, they rule, which was a band from the nineties. That was rad. Most people back then just knew the name. Cause speaking it's a very of, unique name. Speaking of indie movies that feel like they should have been made in the nineties, but weren't he, his only other composer credit is for a little 2005 indie called Thumbsucker. I didn't see that. Is that good? Should I watch that? 
Uh, I, I haven't seen it, but the score is great. Uh, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I know of that movie not because I've seen it, but because the cast is like insane. You've got Lou Taylor Pucci. You've got Tilda Swinton, Vincent D'Onofrio, Keanu Reeves, Benjamin. I like Bratt. a lot of those people. Like it's got a it. The, this the cast for what the movie is, is weirdly stacked. So. Yeah. Do with I mean, that that's kind of what we're dealing with here, though, with this film. Exactly. It's just shockingly stacked. So. And- and I think it's it's interesting to kind of look at what Hollywood is doing around that time, like that actors of this stature and caliber, and they're not A-list by any means. Like this is, uh, Keanu has done the Matrix, but like he's on that kind of post-Matrix downswing that kind of hit him after after Matrix Revolutions came out. Um, but you, you get like actors of this certain caliber that are willing to step into indie roles because those are the roles that are more challenging than what Hollywood is doing. Like the franchise machine is already pumping shit out in 2005. So you've got that, all of that to contend with as well. And that makes for, you know, some real, and it's the same thing with TV is now like the Indies in the early two thousands are what TV is now where you've got big name actors who are just going to TV because that's where the compelling roles are. That's where the, that's where interesting stuff is getting made rather than getting caught up in the franchise machinery of it all word yeah yeah dude yeah 45 minutes in let's do the plot in 60 how about hey let's hit that plot yo let's do that so right on the dot so for those uh of you who are not familiar with the show who are tuning in to hear us talk about visioneers um who are you you are a fascinating person like god why this one why is this the one you click on first like no we adore you but god you must be fascinating um for those of you who have only who this is the only episode of this podcast you've ever listened to the plot in 60 is the part of the show where we normally talk about the plot of the film that we are discussing and we do that in 60 seconds or less now normally uh if it's brett tucker and i all together we would roll the d6 of destiny uh if it's just tucker and i it's the canadian quarter of indifference but because Mr. Evan Tui is joining us today, uh, then he has graciously volunteered his time and talents to reciting the plot of 2008's Visioneers in 60 seconds or less. Uh, Evan, I will give you the 30 and 10 second warnings. Um, and I'm going to put a minute on the clock first because for some reason my timer is not set right. Um, and I'll give you 30 and 10 second warnings. And um, I will start the time when you start your synopsis. Well, three, two, one. The story opens with the Jeffers logo. Um, We are then thrust into an office space with Zach Galifianakis um, and an assorted crew of folks that he works with. We um, end up going back to his home and we are uh, we learned that um, he is a descendant of George Wash- Washington and he feels uh, uh, inadequate. And uh, then we end up meeting his life coach and seconds. his wife. And it's really sad. And they uh, keep telling him to buck up. And he goes to a doctor at one point and they tell him that dreams are straight up bad. And he's like, but I have them. And they say, you might explode. And that's the thing, too. 
and then he ends up meeting a girl and it was really sweet because they didn't think that they were going to meet each other but then things ended up happening to where he thought he'd have to kill her but he ended up meeting her and everything was great and they end up he finds himself and that is time well done pretty good pretty good well done how you feeling and not particularly that order And there's you got in 60 that, seconds and you start out with we open on <laughs> what do you got you gotta wrap that shit up dude man, how, the cliff notes few, dude that's how it goes the first few you're you get bogged <laughs> down in the first like 10 minutes of the movie and you're looking like no so details like, broad strokes my friend i remember Even the fastest car doesn't go straight to 60 sir exactly our the first time he was on the show our buddy jp lack um, like is like painting the picture and at the 32nd mark he's still on the first scene of the movie damn it <laughs> and so we're, I'm like 30 seconds he's like oh oh I um, and then he just gets so flustered and I mean Brett and I have had those moments too where we're just like fuck I don't know I don't know what we're fucking and doing sometime it, sometimes uh... it creates the funniest moments in this podcast history so. I was gonna say my favorite to this day my absolute favorite plot in 60 and it's one of the worst ones Brett will you will admit it's one of the worst ones we've ever done I've speed any racer? of us anyone speed, speed racer speed racer yeah speed racer you know that's the one I'm always going to invoke when we talk about terrible plot in 60s it's yeah. the speed race which is that's a fucking great movie it's a fucking great episode fucking yeah. terrible plot in 60 i'm also very partial to the one you did for the uh the, the 90s three musketeers movie oh yeah um, you, know, classic. you know what we should do for uh next time we take a break is i'll do a super cut of all the best plot in 60s oh that'd be good and we'll do a little thing where we'll introduce it like 30 seconds of an intro and then just play a super cut of like all the best plot in 60s right on i like i dig that, that be rad. that's that a fun rad. idea yeah. i dig that yeah for sure band meeting over all right and break um but yeah that's that's, that's the, the that's that's the plot of the vision ears that's what and happens it, in this movie it i mean you don't even need to watch it at this point but <laughs> you can if you want I mean, you know, part of part of films are visuals. So, I mean, and there and there, but here's the thing: this movie is so dense, and the world building is so taut that there are so many elements that just had to get skipped in that retelling, like the pole vaulting brother that just shows up. The 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 and introduction the, to him when he's just, just looking out the window and you hear him like screaming as he sprints across the backyard yeah. is just comedic perfection. Like that's that I cracked up at that. Like he just. Aah! It's so good. It's, it's wonderful. So good. I love his character. I love what his character is there for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like, how do I how do I get to that when there's like people are exploding and there's like uh, like an Oprah Winfrey sort of self-help daytime talk host who's also like, you know, factored in there. And his mm-hmm. wife is, you know, buying a book and doing all of the steps. And I've eaten you know, so much butter. <laughs> I could I could melt myself. Right. <laughs> um and you know happiness is being happy. What the fuck am I supposed to do with it, that? Dude, it's that's a that's a really that whole scene is like I would argue that might be the and, thesis of the one of the thesis statements of this movie is for that real. that see that just Missy Pyle just losing her shit on TV. And then, of course, the, tr- the 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 tragic, the most maybe the most tragically comedic moment in the whole fucking movie 
is you hear that she put a gun in her mouth, apologized and pulled the trigger. Yep. And his wife does the exact same thing, except she doesn't die because bullets weren't in the instructions. Right. Like that is the most hilariously tragic thing. That's like a, that's like when 20 clowns die. Like that's not just one clown, but like 50 clowns in like a, like one of those tiny car pileups. Like it just is, it, it's so dark and yet so funny in the same moment. And you're just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. And her like sense of timing and pacing and delivery is just, just kind of, it just kind of, and I also didn't have bullets to pull it, but you know, I mean, it just, it right. just is like a multi-car pile up at that point. And, and then that breaks open her whole thing about, you know, the only reason I'm stuck in this situation. And then we have like an open door to exposition about, you know, Hey, fuck it. I thought like, I just take a risk and like, I haven't felt this a lot. You know, they have the entire like chaotic, like, um, you know, minty B sesh where they are throwing things around the kitchen and like mm-hmm. drinking beer and like screaming and hollering and like, and it breaks open to this like, like uh, super brittle, but also tender, but also completely like dead inside, like monologue from her going right. about like, you know, the only reason I'm stuck here is because of yada 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 and yeah. you came it's, in with it's the breaking point Jeffers finally logo and just yep. swaggering you were hot shit and i thought what the fuck and i said not? what the fuck yep yeah like it i and i've said this on the podcast before and i'll say it again if there there are people who can do dramatic acting and there are people who can do comedic acting but nine times out of ten if you need to sell something dramatic and all you've got is a comedian, they can do it because comedians understand timing. And I'm looking at this cast and it is it's with the possible exception of Mia Maestro, who is not known, I think, as a comedic actress. The, it's comedians almost all the way down. Like these are people that are generally speaking known for comedic roles. Galifianakis, Judy Greer. um, Missy Pyle, fuck Missy Pyle, so fucking funny. Matthew Glave, even like you've got these these actors kind of known for comedy, but they're selling these very darkly comedic and and very dramatic and very intense performances. And yeah, it all comes down to the timing, but that's something that comedians inherently need to understand if they if they want to be funny. Like you've got to get that timing down. And speaking of Missy Pyle, if I may, you may this is a perfect Missy Please. Pyle role. Let's talk because Missy Pyle. God, I love her. She is the perfect plot adjacent uh, secondary role. Like you've got <clears throat> Galaxy Quest. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Future episode of this podcast. In that eventually at some point you've scheduled it like 800 times, Stephen. Is it ever going to happen? No, never. Oh, I love that movie, though. But also no, me- Dodgeball, another yep. classic. Mm hmm undisputed classic past like episode of this of, podcast Josie and the Pussycats she's kind of the she's the scene stealer that you cast in a small role to give give something a little pizzazz you know Future what I mean episode of this podcast Stormbreaker like she's got like such a distinct persona um, well, she kind of reminds me of Chris Tucker in that way 
mm, where you yeah. just you kind of you call. bring him in comparison. to mm-mm, add some mm-hmm. little salt. You know, just zhuzh it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Steal every scene you're in, but only be in a few scenes. Mm-hmm. And she does that consistently well. She mm-hmm. literally jumps off the screen, not only from the screen within the movie, but mm-hmm. obviously the one that I'm watching as well. I mean, she's perfect for that role. She's so good. Um, and and she's, I mean, she and was then her in minty Gone B Girl. at the end is just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, exactly. To where it's like, of course, that's like a few years down the line, but it just makes sense because right. she's able to like do this completely brain dead, you know, person who is just hawking a haw- hawking a book, you know, mm-hmm. and um very and requiem for she... a dream kind of. Right. It is. Oh God, I didn't put that together. I've tried to block as much of that movie out of my mind as I can because it's so disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. I, I I curled into fetal position and just started sobbing when I finished that movie. Like I I can't I will never watch that movie again. I can't. You don't need I, to. I, I once don't. one time's all you need. Once once is fine. No need and, to watch it again. Yeah. I just Is it wonderful? Yes. But is it a good movie? Yeah, it's absolutely a great sure. movie. But I it's don't incredible. But yeah, like, yeah I, you don't need to watch it more than once. I can't do that to myself. I, I have to have no. some respect for myself. Maybe maybe if you have the mental capacity to do such a thing. And um, I don't. I think I think I, I've made it. I think it's very well established that I do not. <laughs> yeah, no. I agree. But no, I mean, no, I miss. I mean, again, Missy Pyle. Just when she bad? Like, are some of the movies bad? Yeah. Um, but when is she bad in them? Almost never. Never. Yeah. Like she's she's. It's always fun just seeing her pop on screen. Hell yeah! And I'm always excited to see her. I'm always like, oh fuck yeah! It's it's exactly. the Alf- Brett. It's the Alfred Molina thing. Uh, which we talked about all the way back on our Prince of Persia episode, where where, as soon as you see, we we said in that episode, Alfred Molina, but I feel the same way about Missy Pyle. I can just sit back and relax because I know I'm in good hands for for at least as long as as that person is on screen. But I I feel about Missy Pyle the same way I feel about Alfred Molina in that way. Like I can just relax because Missy Pyle is going to take care of this for, for now. Like I don't have to worry. She's in The Artist. Like the Academy Award winning film, The Artist, which is a terrible Academy Award win, but she's in it. Like, so. She's in a lot of stuff, dude. She is. She's she. She again, like Mia Maestro, she working. Like is that 200- the film that was about the the transition from silent films to talkies? Yep. With uh, Jean yeah. Dujardin and uh, Bernice Bejo. Yeah. John Goodman's that. in there What's somewhere. Well, I like John Goodman. He only has one line at the very end because, again, it's it's a silent film. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't bad. Um, did it deserve to win Best Picture that year? God no. But you know, shit. Now I gotta watch Barton Fink. You guys, damn it. Ah, oh, now now talk about your perfect movies. I will look. I will show you the life of the mind, but you gotta be patient, okay? <laughs> I look. I will show you. The life of the mind. We'll show you the life of the mind, Steve. I will show you the life of the mind. God, John Goodman, <laughs> man. I, I, I am every time I see John Goodman in something, and that's another man who has just done so much work. I cannot help but think how dirty we have done John Goodman that he has never gotten so much as an Oscar nomination, let alone an actual Academy Award. No, he's too good for it. He's above that stuff because John Goodman, he. He can do literally anything. Literally. Your boy can be in like 
the highest rated drama of the year mm-hmm. and still carry a fucking show like Roseanne. Yeah, and he he absolutely and everything that. in between, dude. Like arachnophobia, what the fuck is that? Nobody knows. But John Goodman was amazing. Future episode of this podcast, arachnophobia. Um, we'll we'll get there one day. A horror movie that makes me extremely uncomfortable to watch. Would That's you rather that or Eight Legged Freaks, Brett? Eight Legged Freaks both? is a little bit more over the top. So I why can... not both? It, it, I mean, we'll get makes to me both. a little uncomfortable, but not I as much because movies. it's so over the top and like side, like uh, an homage to old over the top sci-fi movies. We're going to have uh, to cover something when Madam Web comes out. So I'm just wondering what you guys want to we'll do. Them both. We'll do them both. We'll, we'll do it. For eight legged freaks. Okay. Double feature. That's Double actually what I have first. penciled in right now. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. It's when arachnophobia feels like it could actually happen. So I, yeah, I don't really chillingly plausible. Chillingly plausible, so I'm <laughs> no thank you. Get that away from me. Well, band meeting over. Band meeting over. Yeah. And you were all privy to just doing I mean, an on air on air tangential. Band we were talking about John Goodman. We were. And... Yeah, Tucker brought <laughs> it up. True. Tucker's fault. And what? No, I would never. I know That's you absurd. would never. You would never kickstart a tangent. That is absurd. I don't believe it. <laughs> Um, okay, yep. so let's let's talk elephant in the room. Um, where do we go from here? Like in terms of like the, if this movie hits, and obviously it was a it was a small indie. It hitting is kind of always an if off chance. If it did anyway. nineteen seventy eight Halloween numbers, is that what you're telling me? Or, or you know, if it did Clerks numbers, even um, okay, because you know Clerks gets a couple sequels. Um, if we, if we see a sequel to this movie, and again, I'm, I, I'm, I'm doubting that this is intended as a franchise starter, but the ending is certainly open enough that we could, we could probably get there if we reach, which I mean, and look, anything that makes money, like somebody's going to want to get more of that shit. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's, that's Hollywood. So if that's this had somehow like really just slayed. Mm hmm. At the box office, or even on home video. Right. I mean, Equilibrium Mm -hmm. takes place far in the future from this, so we Mm -hmm. need an in-between movie to complete the trilogy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think think you'll find that movie is called Brazil. Uh, Hey. (laughs) I have not seen Brazil, so maybe I should. You fucking need to watch Brazil, dude. Yeah, that movie is amazing. Is it streaming anywhere? Because I also have not seen it. It's Michael Palin's uh, best work. It is, and it's, I might need something to watch tonight. Also, Terry Gilliam's best work. I will tell you where it is streaming. Give me just a moment. At the time I'll of this recording, which is to say eleven o two p.m. Central Time uh, on November nineteenth in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three, Brazil is streaming. Uh, it is available to rent or buy um, on Prime Video, Vudu, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Apple TV. Jimmy, I'll send it to you. Oh. In the mail, dude. Straight up post. <laughs> Whoa. Do you you have a DVD player? Do you still have one of those? I even have a mailbox. Look at that. You could put that in your DVD player and you could see this. You could see this film. I have the Criterion nice. edition in my living room and it it's so good. Um Is it four K yet? Film. Did they put that in four K yet? Not yet. Because that's what I, that's Speaking the only thing of, I'm waiting on. That's the only reason I still have this DVD is because the 4K isn't around yet. 
Well, I bought. Well, speaking I, of that, I bought Brazil. Sorry, Stephen. No, I was just gonna say I, I brought Brazil way back when I was working at Barnes and Noble. So I've had that thing. I think before Blu-rays were a thing. So yeah. um, this most recent watch of Visioneers was the first time I recall seeing it in HD. Mm. Um, because okay. I don't believe we had it in HD. I think it was just standard, probably 480 when I watched it years ago mm-hmm. on like. Uh, some Comcast sort of like, you know, um, on demand, on demand sort of yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you had just had the DVD. So and then I had the DVD, which is fine. But that, you know, it's the way it was mixed too, or it's my DVD player as well. Is like, you know, the audio gets clipped out like there's like a noise um, floor and it's like so quiet in the mix that it it keeps cutting out like little subtleties or you get those like you know low fly low fi like you know boxes or black dots in the back that like is nothing digital artifacts is what they call that yeah yeah okay then there's plenty of that um (laughs) but this was the first time i saw it and heard it in crisp hd and it was this is a nice ride baby i mean not to knock a dvd like if you if that's the only way you can see this movie i'd rather you see it than not see it but absolutely um, but yeah, send that send Brazil to me, ASAP. I'll just I'll give it to you at Christmas. Oh, okay. Or in a month. Well, because like, because cool like, too. look, it's like it's the end of November now. I'm gonna we're gonna be there in like three four weeks ish. It's gonna take like a week to get to you anyway. Or Tucker, you could mail it to him now, and then he could give it back to you at Christmas. Fuck, Stephen, you're a genius. I have my moments. All right. Okay. Okay, I got you. Just as long Send as the shipping isn't like an arm and a leg. I got know? you, Jimmy. I No, I Evan, I will sorry. be paying for ship. <laughs> I will be paying for shipping as always. This will be my my gift to you. To not Huzzah, have to dude. spend four dollars to rent this movie, I'm going to use Thanks, the postal dude. service so that you at Christmas time so that you don't have to pay $4 if, nice. for this If movie. you would like Tucker to mail you a DVD as well, then just go ahead and shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com, and just write in the subject line, uh, Tucker, send me a movie, and then write, you know, just what movie you want him to mail you. And keep uh, in mind, in I, have the the email. En- I have the entire series of Hey Vern, It's Ernest on DVD. So. Oh, good Lord. I didn't <laughs> even know that they makes you lick that your on DVD. What a score. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, Ernest was one and of the, the calls th- are coming in. <laughs> Ernest was one of the three fictional characters I was absolutely terrified of as a child. I love Ernest. He's the best. Uh, that show is amazing. Uh, goes to camp and saves Christmas and scared stupid are amazing films. I speak for nothing outside of that. I have never seen scared stupid. I will also stand ghosted. Eartha Kitt, Ghost- bitch. Eartha Kitt is in Look, Scared Stupid, man. When you when you grow up in a reactionary religious home, oh yeah, There's anything like horror adjacent is yeah. the devil. Correct. Jesus correct. would not like that for you to watch no. that. No, and I've just and never there's come... like lots of boogers in it too. I've just never come around to it since then. So, yeah, it's just it. That was for for the longest time. And currently, I think that may be one of maybe one of two, if not the only Ernest movie I've never seen. I think I think I've even seen Ernest Goes to Africa, which. Hey, but outside of that, have you seen Ernest Goes to Jail? Yeah, that movie rules. 
classic, stone cold classic, just a tour de force of Jim Varney's acting prowess. And you think I'm being sarcastic. I'm fucking no. not. He's fucking, he plays like okay. three different characters in that movie and they're all awesome. That's what's great about his show. Uh, the show that he had, he played like four or five different characters. The man was amazing. The man was the Lon Chaney of his day. He had so much range and he never got to employ it because Hollywood just it's had too, him he pigeonholed. Had, he had Dr. Otto, remember mm-hmm. the mad scientist with the hand on his head, and he had the old woman. The old woman's the best one. <laughs> yeah. The old woman's the best character. With the I'm telling brace, you, go back with... and go back and revisit that show. Like you guys think I'm kidding. That's one of the best things that was on TV for kids in the 80s. It's fan fucking tastic. Highly recommended to anyone who has a sense of humor. I mean, I, I used to follow a TikTok account that like posted all of his old local commercials. That he oh, those are fun too. Yeah, those are those are all pretty fun. Yeah, that was the gym. That was the earnest that scared me. Was the one on the commercials. But once I like got into the character, I was fine. Like once like the the they they put a narrative around him, I was okay. Um, sure. but yeah, that's. Oh, you guys! Speaking of spoilers, so... uh, at some point, I don't know when. But uh, at some point, probably later on in my my <laughs> my fifth Thursday uh, show is where I choose at my very whim. Uh, we will be watching Existo, which is a film that's not for children, but it is solely about a character from the show. Hey, Vern, it's Ernest. Interesting. Another art house film from the 90s. I cannot wait for you guys to watch that it's boy it's something else and jim varney's in it he has a role in it of course because that's his bud sure so, yeah so it's, tucker if, yes if you could if you could write a sequel to this film how would it go to visioneers i would like to explore um the undeveloped areas that kind of seems like where uh george washington is going you know, I mean, he's on his boat, you know, and everything. But I feel like if we're going to do a sequel, he needs to kind of um, adventure into those lands. I can't think of simple words, you guys. Words he are must hard, journey man. into those lands. Because, I mean, the first film we've seen what happens in the Jeffers corporate land and we've had little peaks of the undeveloped areas but i think it would be cool to kind of do the opposite thing if there were a sequel kind of explore uh what's going in the going on in the undeveloped areas see how many people Mm. are you know taking off their little neck boxes because there's 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 revolution in the air i can fucking smell it dude yeah it's that's what i want to see out of the second one i want to see the start of the revolution dude what, what so if, did you guys know that there was a proposed spinoff with this? I don't know if you guys found this in the your format. In your, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew this in your um, digging up dirt on I, this movie. I but... did not come across this. Please enlighten okay. us. Okay. Okay. So um, I think it was like 2016 around that time between 2016, 2018. Um, I believe it was Jared Drake and maybe a few other people from this movie had the idea that they would make a spinoff that centered around Mac Luster 
if you remember that bit where it cut to that dude who was like doing like an 80s Rambo like style TV show where he's like punching people and running around and he's like interrogating that old lady and stuff like right. the idea was they were going to have a spinoff show that is that show and um, they formed like a GoFundMe or something and we're trying to you know raise money to you know be able to produce at least a pilot um and i don't i don't think they ever i mean it's been years so i don't think Mm. they ever like got what they needed out of it and it just stalled out but interesting um, okay so there were attempts it's not a direct sequel by any means but um yeah mac luster was the proposed like spinoff and it just never came to fruition so I could see that being something you'd see on Adult Swim, little fifteen mm-hmm. minute snippets. Hundred percent. I'd watch the shit out of that for sure. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Right on. That would have been. That would certainly guess, been interesting. I guess, like, um, I guess it would have been really rad, but I, you know, I don't know where it stalled out. If it was the money, or if it was like couldn't find a home somewhere. You know what I mean? But right. That's, I mean, that's. But that's at least we have that thirty-second snippet, and we can imagine in our minds the show that is Mac Luster. And also now we have, you know, it, it fits the format of the show now that you've brought right. that to light. Yeah, because I mean, that the was the most important part. That was my. That was my. I was just like, does and again, I'm watching this thing, and I'm just like, where does this? Where does this go? Like, and so I was asking that legitimately. I was legitimately curious. I'm not trying to like gotcha or anything. I'm just like how does this fit into what we do? But that, well, that ties it in that tie that brings it. You, you inadvertently did the bit, the, the segment that we should have been doing from the beginning, but we haven't. So shut the fuck up. It's does this then we forgot and then we remembered and then we, we didn't forgot do it for a really long time. And now here we're back changes. and now shut the fuck Honestly, up. Honestly, we just consistently forget yeah. because like <laughs> where there's no consistency here whatsoever. We're just like guys that forget shit and are excited yeah. to talk to each other. But anyway, shut the fuck up. Yeah. yeah, so that's you did. the complete you name, I think. D X C E Super Hyper Turbo. Edition. Correct. Yeah. So good job, Esquire. Yeah, you, you Esquire. You fuck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, Brett. Continue. No, no, I'm yeah. Done. Yeah. Uh, I want to see a thing. prequel. I want to see a prequel Where? that either follows uh, George. Uh, his brother and his journey because he seemed like he had a quite an interesting backstory and like a prequel that then runs through uh you know the movie that we just watched into the aftermath because you want an ex-pearl maxine sort of deal well it's just so yeah mad max thunderdome his character is so interesting to me because he and it, that's what gives this movie this like weird off balance feel too, because you think his brother's got it right. You're watching it and you're seeing George be like stuck in his life and he's stuck in this marriage that is like loveless and he's stuck, you know, doing all of this like stuff that he can't stand. And he's like, has this backstory with a family lineage that it, he cannot measure up to because we live in a society that is completely, you know, alienated folks to the point that this is where they are now Mm -hmm. um and um his brother kind of like goes off and he has this like hippie sort of 
like self-discovery time where he um, goes to, you know, find out who he really is. And he's back here and he says, you know, I had a dream that I did this once and he starts pole vaulting. And it's this sort of like inner discovery that seems really beautiful. And you're like, Oh, his brother's completely got it. He's woken up to like the bullshit and he found a way to like get through it. But what ends up happening is it's bastardized by this like ultra hedonism sort of aspect of like people coming in and going, you can just party your way out of this broken system. And his brother fights it. He even sees what's going on at a certain point And it's like, um, you know, the FBI is about to raid the house. You know, he even knows that the FBI is out there like ready to completely raid his house and, you know, destroy this little bit of like hedonistic paradise that he built. But like he realizes the folly in that. And then it, it he like breaks at a certain point and also realizes that it's like pointless for him to fight it because he ends up, you know, um, hanging out and partying with the same crew and you know next thing we, we don't go back to that house because next thing you know is the fbi has raided it when we then meet the um purported mr jeffers and then we meet the actual mr jeffers and like that is as like his brother's entire like party like getaway is being raided by the fbi i just I just want to see a prequel and sequel based off his brother, to be totally honest. What I really appreciated about uh, the brother character and like his whole group and his philosophy is uh, like you were saying, when you're first introduced to him, you think maybe he does have it all figured out. But then by the end of it, you realize that he's, he's in the same box as everybody else. He's ticking the same check marks on the form as everybody else he's just doing right. it in a different way so that mm-hmm. he feels unique exactly. you know it doesn't change anything like he's still doing the the same things just in a different way i thought that was really compelling i quite i quite enjoyed that that was fun and the jeffers reveal to me felt very reminiscent of the big brother reveal at the end of 1984 where you find out that big brother's been dead for years and it's just kind of like his underlings kind of running the show in his absence because you've got this like guy who is the the face of Mr. Jeffers. He is to the to the world for all intents and purposes. He is Mr. Jeffers, and then he comes mm-hmm. to see George Washington at the end and goes, "Oh no, Mr. Jeffers is outside," and you're just like, "What the fuck is going on?" And you get it, and it's yeah, I was this, a little confused at first. I was like, "Wait a minute, isn't that oh?" It's this frail old British man who just coughs a lot and like has very like a, a very like very moist lips. Like he just he just looks like very he just looks very dewy as as a, a just very a damp dewy, a dewy gentleman yeah he's 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 just a damp needs to mop, mop the brow maybe you know wipe the face off a little yeah. um but yeah it's just it's it, and it's it's a very interesting um I don't know a very interesting dynamic that again I think plays really well into the dystopia. Because the people that you think are running the show are not really running the show, which is, again, a very a very dystopian idea. Um, you're being lied to by by the government. The, the, the people that are supposed to protect you are the ones that are lying to you. Very dystopian idea. 
oh, there's an epidemic that is causing people to have like anxiety attacks that lead to an explosion. Like, I'm sure like oh, so we'll just we'll just cover up the the problem and just fix the symptom. You know what I mean? Like, like instead right. of fixing the actual so system, what, what do you think really issue, is? So you've seen this movie, Evan, more than the rest of us, uh, which is to say yeah. more than once. Um, so what what do you think it is that's causing the the explosions that happen? I mean, we only see one, but we know that others happen. Um, the the close up on Chris Coppola's face when he forgets to pull the trigger on his unloaded gun and realizes what's about to happen and just his head just goes full scanners in close up. It's really rad. But like, what is it that you think causes that? And to that question at the end of the movie, is George still in Jane? Is George still in danger of exploding or has he finally figured it out? How do you, how do you read that? That's two very different questions. I realize, but I kind of want to feels like, no, I feel you. It, It sounds to me like it's like half like anxiety attack and half of like like a cognitive dissonance of being like stuck in this dystopian hellhole and because like it's not like people are just depressed and they're exploding they are actually idealistic and they actually have a spark to them i mean there's that uh rant at the end where um um, George's wife is straight up screaming about like how they they like the media and the powers that be have framed it to where people who explode are a defect like mm-hmm. they're a bug in the in the otherwise like properly running system that is the society whereas like it's actually they're better than us like they still feel something like they still and so that's that's what I think it comes down to is like you if you feel something and are still alive inside and you are stuck in that system like i it's a metaphor obviously for suicide or drug abuse or um anything like that because like at a certain point it's like people start killing themselves because they can't explode mm-hmm. almost in a way is like right. the dark under like the subtext of it all um and cause and their so, heads to explode in other ways like missy pyle's it, character it, does I mean, yeah. his, exactly his wife, his wife says that like i i sat here trying to explode and i couldn't because i'm empty inside right exactly so it's it's that you know that idealism that is snuffed out by um an overly like repressive and sterile and sad society that just exploits you and takes and you're left buying butter and listening to daytime talk show hosts who just hawk products at you and you're only like uh the only way that you think that there's recourse and a way out is by buying shit or like you know uh joining like some like wacky organization or uh you know like tuning in turning out turning off and dropping out like right yeah that's cool but like not to like take it back to the 60s but that's why a lot of like the issues that we're dealing with today that were brought up 
all those years ago, like were never solved is because there was never any collective, like unifying action that like it, it kind of got snuffed out by this like cultural narcissism. Mm. And the the attitude of the eighties and nineties, I can tell you firsthand was just ignore it. It'll fucking fix itself. Right. Uh, Yeah. Mind your own business. Take what's yours, mind your own business. And like, you know, this is the society we're stuck with. And this is like the child of that sort of Reagan era um, idea. And it's like, it's got that like nine Tucker's right though. It's got that 90s cynicism mm-hmm. and wit and like, you know, um, a very Gen X movie in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally, it's not go. It doesn't have to go all the way. You don't have to go far to hit a dystopia. You no. know what I mean? <laughs> well, and again, like, like you, don't like have you to said, go... it's a thin line between what is and what could be extremely thin membrane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's my take on it at the very least. And um and yeah, and it's funny because like it's like again, I come back to his brother, but his brother had that spark, but it was like wasted on giving up and tuning out and just partying mm-hmm. and being like fuck it, the whole world around me is burning. Right. But like, you know, and there could be something happening. He could have organized these people to do something or like raise clash consciousness. Even Mr. Jeffers at the end has this whole monologue about the real Mr. Jeffers has this monologue about that. There's a war going on right now, Tunt. And that war in real terms is a class warfare. Right. And that's happening to where. People are either giving up and killing themselves, i.e. like exploding, or they become dissidents, but they don't do anything about it. Like you're in the counterculture. Sure, you're pushing back, but like where's your time and energy and efforts going? And and instead of at least using that time and effort for self-discovery, like how George ends, ends up doing because he hit the absolute breaking point. Right. And I like to think when it when his that note at the end says kill the thing you love, um, he has completely at that point bought into this like, you know, distorted Jeffers logic. He has completely given up at this point. He has lost all the will to live. So like, what's the point? I'll kill the one thing I love. And it's implied he's probably going to kill himself, too. And that is broken. And he has this moment of like self-reflection and like breaking through to like uh some form of enlightenment whereas his brother let it get bastardized by partying and it looks like he's drinking and shit too and Mm. like just dicking around and so that pole vaulting instead of it being like a rallying point for people to come together and hear each other and and build community in this like shitty time just ended up getting bastardized overall by people just wanting to escape and having no other recourse, but to escape even from the self, which is like doing the wrong kinds of drugs, drinking, partying, ignoring your problems, ignoring the outside problems, you know? Um, And like shit, even the, even Mr. Jeffers knew that his time is like short, like physically, but also like the dude was worried like people are exploding, people are defecting, people are going to the undeveloped areas. Like 
like thing tucker was right there's like revolution in the air so yeah right on yeah that's the sequel i want to see i want to see that sequel i want to see that revolution man are you all at all concerned about an uprising only in the sequel only in the sequel (laughs) which i'd watch i'd watch a sequel to this I mean, yeah, I probably would too. Um, I, and again, this, there's so much, and I feel like even though we've been going for like an hour and a half, like I feel like we're still barely scratching the surface of what this thing is because there's so much to glom onto. There's so much to latch onto. Um, but I think in, in ultimately the thing that stood out to me most is that it, everyone is distracted placation through distraction. You've got, um, the television, the books, even the like the fried chicken jingle that comes on. And so what does he do? He hears it and he immediately stops and buys fried chicken. And what are they putting on every piece of food? They're eating giant packs of butter on fucking everything. Why is everyone in this movie not 500 pounds? I Wait, do not this know. is the sequel to Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> they put it in... <laughs> They put it in the Free, music, man. It's in the it's in the it's in the music. It's in the food. I'm there's gotta be something going on with that butter. Yeah, dude. But but you like, can't say George wasn't trying. You know what I mean? Right. Like dude's trying his damnedest to like find a little shred of happiness and somehow buying things and spreading butter on all your food doesn't fill those little holes inside so i mean it may make you feel good in a moment you know the serotonin level that comes with you know eating a comfort meal or you know receiving a package or or you know buying a new book or a new movie or you know we've all hit those serotonin rushes we've all got those things that kind of make us happy give us a little mm, in the moment um and you know but i think in the large picture we all know that kind of shit is fleeting Right. Like yep. that's that there's no satisfaction in those small things. And so I I it, also want to note there is not a therapist in sight in this movie. No, no. It seems like a lot of people could be using a therapist. This is it's as far people from it. As exploding we can by for crying in the mud. Can we get can we get a doctor yeah. in the house? The closest and, and we what come, do they do? Yep. Say it. The closest we come is Roger the Codger. That's yep. the closest we get to a therapist. Is that the life movie. coach guy? That's the life coach. Yeah, I liked that guy. He was fun. Glenn Gulia from the, from the wedding singer Julia or um, Drew Drew Barrymore's Julia fiance Gulia. Julia Gulia at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like he is. He's he. And I'm sitting there the whole time going, "Where do I know this guy from? Where do I?" And I so I looked him up, and I'm like, "Oh, he's fucking Glenn. Oh, like, God, that's hilarious." Um. Like that's that's my that might be my favorite Adam. Well, my favorite non-PTA directed Adam Sandler movie. Um Wedding Singer might be my favorite Adam Sandler comedy. There. That that is what I will say. It's pretty all right. Yeah. It's is 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 not bad. Uh, you know, when when stacked against other Adam Sandler fair for sure. Um it, it holds up. It does. In in a weird way that you wouldn't expect. Um but and and so he's there like trying earnestly, but all of his solutions are very again, it's very much in line with the company line, with the kind of the the standard wisdom of you know the day. Like um it's it's all about trying to kind of calm him down 
in a moment trying to find, you know, again, the, the little moments of pleasure were, you know, contrary to, you know, encouraging to have sex with his wife. Um, when he clearly doesn't love her. I mean, it's a loveless marriage. That seems very clear. Um, and when they do finally start to get intimate, as soon as she fucking brings up the butter, he's out of it. Like he's immediately done. Like he thinks there, there could be the chance for connection. He, he tries to actually forge a physical connection and, and an emotional one along with it. And then as soon as she asks, will you do number 800 with the butter? He's out. He's done. And I I, so I would good. like to know what 800 is. I would I would be willing to do 800 with the butter. I just tell <laughs> me what it is. I don't know. Yeah, I'll bet you would, Steven. With Judy Greer? <laughs> Fuck yes, I would. Hey. She fine as hell. What? Um, but um, yeah, but Judy it, Greer type of way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't you don't think Julie, Judy Greer is attractive? No, I think that she has a very unique look. And yeah, I do find it attractive, but I will also recognize that it is a very unique look. So that's why I say she Judy Greer pretty. Okay. It's not an I insult. Just, I just I just don't know why we have to qualify all. it, is all I'm saying. But yeah. Let the record show. Because we're already objectifying her. We might as well go a step <laughs> further. Steven. For the we record, I'm not well. Brett, Brett's typing all his thoughts in the chat, and God, they're filthy. Um, Don't lie to these people. Don't tell lies, Steven. Look, if we're going down, we're all going down together. Um, I'm just a guest. (laughs) No, dude, you're in this shit. This ain't my ship, dude. We're 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 92 minutes into this, some bitch. Like you're we're you're you're we're all in this together. And we will all go down together. And in total, this is about three and a half hours into a recording. Yeah. Yeah. So, we've been we've been going out. We've been going a while. It's closer to four, yeah, but yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just chugging along. We are. We are. What 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 else do we want to say about the Visioneers? I love this movie. I also liked it quite a bit. Uh, like I say, it did remind me of of uh, some kind of specifically corporate capitalism based indie films, art house films from the nineties. Uh, I would encourage anyone to look up Josh Turnbull. Uh, he did a series of films in the nineties, one of which was called Haiku Tunnel that even though it's not dystopian, this movie reminded me of a lot. Um, it's a weird one. This movie's weird. That movie's weird. A lot of the shit I was watching like late at night on HBO in the late 90s was weird. That's where I discovered Pootie Tang, you guys. Was oh, HBO we, at like 1130 at night. We all know about Pootie Tang, man. We all know. I couldn't keep my eyes off the screen. <laughs> Pretty Pooty don't need words. Pooty don't even need music. Mm-mm, mm-mm. We don't. We we don't always know what he's saying, but we always know what he means. Sarate. Wanata. I'm just uh, happy let's... this movie exists at all. I'm sad we didn't get a Mac Luster out of it yet, but I'm 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 happy this even exists because. It's quirky as hell, and it's, it's 
I haven't really seen another movie that quite scratches the itch that this tends to, even if it on a certain level is like, I don't know, flawed or is just very like lo-fi indie vibes. But I don't know. I like that because it kind of makes people have to step out of their comfort zone in a way. Um, and movies just well, don't make is, themselves at that point, you know? It is. It does kind of wear a lot of its influences on its sleeve, but it's it's also kind of a unicorn in a genre full of unicorns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that whole 90s, mid-2000s indie art house scene, especially the stuff that was dealing with, like I say, corporate stuff, uh, capitalism, office jobs, all that shit. That was, that was a, it was a big deal. And it does have that vibe, but it's also, it's, it's its own thing. There's nothing like it. And I can always appreciate a movie that does that for itself you guys i think we lost brett we did i just texted him you doing all right i can edit this part out right yeah you gave yourself enough of a clean break that we can we can edit this that, out. that's ex- that's what i was doing steven how'd you know I, that that's what i was doing uh you know i've been doing this for a little while um a few days at least once or twice <laughs> oh um, i think he's coming back here he come oh here he come he yellow he do come back though, and I mean like that, at, not as a racial slur, but that he's a coward. Right? No, uh, user is experiencing I some connection issues, but recording out. is being saved locally. No, I'm gonna leave that. That's coming right after your leave song. It yeah. Leave it. Leave it. Leave <laughs> it. Keep it in. Double it. This um, podcast brought to you by Casual Racism. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you should have seen. Um, what was the? Uh, oh, people named Josh from a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Oh shit! What what was this all about? We were talking about how some some names like you just associate with terrible people, and one mm. of the names Stephen came up with was was Josh. And I said, you know, no offense to anyone named Josh that listens to this podcast. And he said, Yeah, you're one of the good ones. I said, Yeah, not you. You're one of the good oh, ones. Fuck. I was like, oh, oh. And Tucker just went. Oh, there he is. Oh. Hey. Hey. Casual racism. Also, my internet wouldn't load anything, and then it just decided to work again. But hey, so now you're back, and that's all that matters. That is, dude. Jeffers' evening. True. It's a Jeffers' yeah, blessing. No, it's Jeffers. Jeffers' evening to all of us. Jeffers' uh, so evening I, to you all. I had just finished uh, talking about how. I thought even though this fit into a lot of genres uh, that I'm familiar with and how uh, I could see some of the influences, it's very much its own thing and something that I've never seen before or will ever see again. It's basically what I had just said. Action. Yeah, cool. I mean, just talking about this movie over the past hour and a half has made me bump it up in my rating. Same. So That happens Same. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, even like sometimes you don't even have to watch it with someone who's enthusiastic about it. Sometimes you just have to talk to him about it afterwards. I feel like this is a movie that if if I do rewatch it, this this is a movie that will probably grow in estimation for me. The more the more times it is a grower, not a shower. I feel because my initial reaction, I was very mid on this movie. So mid, I think my letterbox score was a two and a half. Um, but just in talking talking through the, the the disparate elements as they exist, um, I don't know. I I still I'm still not going willing to go out and say this is a perfect film because just the I don't know. There there feels like there's so much going on that 
it's almost uneven in, in certain ways. Um, well, I think I said before, like the the amateur nature of it and the lower budget helped this film out, but it's still that still kind of goes against it as well. Mm-hmm. In yeah. the same breath, you know. Exactly. It's, a, it's um, there's a trade off, you know. There's a tension for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Like there's pros yeah. and cons with anything. And then if it had too much money, they could have, you know, fluffed it up another way and it just wouldn't click the same way that it does now. And yeah, I don't want this movie um, any other way than the way that I have received it. I don't think. I think, I think it's, it's the it's perfect kind of... amount of flaw. Mm. It's a charming it's a amount perfect... of flaw. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think it's the perfect kind of movie for what it is. Yeah. Oh, it 100%. It does what it does very well. Um, the cast, they got the right people in the right roles to do the right thing. Um, it works. Like, it's not, this is not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But it, again, it's, there. there's there's some murkiness in here that I think works against it in, in, in certain ways. Um, but again, I think some of that could be, and again, this is why I say it'll probably grow in future estimation or in my estimation of future viewings. It feels like there's so much going on that it's difficult to get it all in your first sitting. Like you need to engage with this multiple times because there are so many different things going on. There are so many pieces that don't fit. The more you watch it, the more those, the more that meshes, the more that fits together. That's why I asked you Evan, what causes the explosions and what you think happens to Galifianakis's character at the end is because you've seen this so many times. I, I trust your read on it more than I trust my own. I don't, I don't think at the end of the film, he is at risk of exploding, but I also would not hang my hat on that. Not, I don't think he's like clear to go and he's just, and that's he's just, that's how like personal, that's how personal growth and like that kind of thing always go is right. like, you don't, you never hit a point in your life where you're like, okay, now I can coast. Things are cool. Yeah. I've like, arrived. Yeah. 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 And now, Damn. now I can just like put it in cruise control and like go for it. Like, so no, he's like not immune he's completely susceptible as is everybody like mm-hmm. to that, but to hit that plateau where he is there. Um, I think he's in the clear, but you know, it's also like, he's going to have to get off the boat at a certain point and get back to his life. His son is like MIA, bro. You know Literally what I mean? yeah. the whole movie. We never, we never wrapped that up. Like his he's son's kind of just escaped. gone. Yeah. yeah, his brother's probably in federal custody. His wife and him are not divorced. I mean, but, she she seems like she's who, down as good as. Knows, but yeah, who knows what she did with that shotgun after he left? Who knows? Right. And maybe, where do you find she a found job? The chapter on bullets. I don't know. You know, where do you would you part? How do you participate in society when on one side you have like corporatocracy, and on the other side you have this like small town like cutesy vibe but everybody there has got a you know emotional like you know blocker sort of device plugged on them and is completely ignorant and blissful about it do you go to one of the undeveloped areas that hasn't had those imposed on them yet and just take your chances like yeah i mean you You can't outrun it though take them off though you saw how easy he took it off homegirl mm-hmm Right, That's true. but real, it's real like because it's, it's the same thing with they live. It's the same thing with they live, though. Is like 
congrats, you took it off. But like what you have to then see when you're not basically being pumped full of serotonin and dopamine through an artificial device is a really crushing reality. And I feel like most people would rather just coast and just like plug into the easy version mode instead of having to problem solve or work through these issues like personally or societally. So it really does beg a question of like, it's a anyone's guess as to where the movie or the character or anything goes at this point. Cause he certainly hasn't escaped. It certainly Mm -mm. feels like a happy ending, but as somebody who's seen it multiple times, I'm sitting here talking with you guys about it and getting to, you know, it's been years since anybody who I even know has been able to talk to me about this, you know, so it's been, a so you got a lot of pent up feelings to... about this movie to kind of get, I in. was like in the wilderness for like 10 years. Nobody, not even Tubi McDoobie himself was like plugged in on this movie. And he's like one of those guys where I throw out the most random title and he's like, Oh yeah, I've seen it. Like mm-hmm. you I'm know, the guy I got, I got the seen... poster for it. I, I've seen the movies people <laughs> haven't seen, which is why when he brought this film to me for the podcast, I was honestly kind of surprised. Mm. Because even if I hadn't seen something like this, I should at least know about it. I should have heard about it. Uh, this should be this should have been on my radar. So so huge blind spot for me, unfortunately. Well, I think that speaks to how indie this movie really is. Like, this is very indie, very niche. Like, I I went looking. Yeah, I went looking for information on this movie, and there's not a lot out there. There's like one of one of the main sources of information was an interview uh, that Jared and Brandon did for like their local Washington newspaper from the town they grew up in. Like, that's that's where I'm looking for information because it's just not out there. This is a direct to video like through and through mm-hmm. with people who you've seen in other stuff. Correct. And I feel like that's kind of the the vibe uh that you get from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh and it's weird that it's not more well known. Right. Because yeah. of that, honestly. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely would agree. It's definitely not the kind of film that if somebody who has never seen a movie and is like, ah, describe film for me. Give me one film, What's a please. Movie? And like, what what <laughs> does movie? And you're like, you know what? The perfect thing to like, you know, ease somebody into this like uh artistic experience. How about visioneers? Like, no, not no. my go to. Like I don't think no. you could ask a million people, visioneers would be no one's first pick. Even for cinephiles, it's kind of like a yeah. touchy thing because like people can get a lot out of it, like personally and subjectively that exactly. I don't see in a lot of films. Well, I, I think that this this movie is as clever as it thinks it is. But I also think sometimes it's kind of snooty about it and not in a bad way. But in a way to where it feels like the movie's telling you, Hey, catch up. If you can't catch up, like maybe it's not for you. Right. You know, and that's not to say that it's like, you have to be incredibly clever to enjoy this movie. Not at all, but there, there are some nuances in this film to where I I think the movie kind of takes great 
great pleasure in like trying to pull one over on you. And right. I, I, as kind of snobby as that can come off, I had a good time with it. Yeah. I think the Jeffers reveal is probably the most obvious instance of that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It never feels too condescending. It's never felt that no. like that to me, though. Um, especially in it, it doesn't have that like, like dark, like biting, cynical, like um, attitude that a lot of like '90s um, films of the same sort of like cloth would be doing. To where it could be overly like, um, overly brittle, or it could also be like overly. Um, like beating you over the head with the moral of the story and like, you know, like just really screaming it from the rooftops. And it's like, look, I get you're angry or whatever, but like this, this, this thankfully never has that sort of point to where it's like overly cynical or overly like um, snooty or condescending of a film to think that the audience isn't, smart enough either to like at least if if it feels like you don't know what's happening like um it's not gonna rub your face in a a way though at least too well that's 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 what i was trying to say is that it feels like it kind of encourages you to keep up like it 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 motivates you to you know maybe not look at your phone and pay attention you know to what's going on so that you can sort of be fully engaged in it because it is, it's the kind of movie where you can't, you can't not like watch everything, even though a a majority of the shots are just um, still shots of people literally staring into space. Right. It's still, that's that's like 90% of this movie is just people like blankly, vacantly staring. Dissociation, a movie. Yeah. You have to keep up. Yeah, fucking wild. Did this movie? What did this move? Was this movie even in theaters? Um, so it it ran the festival circuit. Um, very extensive, um, festival run on this movie. Um, and I think extensive. I did. Okay, sorry. Um, there is a film premiere. On June 12th of 2008, according to the Wikipedia page, um, but the f- official release that's on the numbers and then further down the Wikipedia page is the DVD release, which is July 21st, 2009. Now I have both of those weekends pulled up. Which of those would you like me to cover? Would you like to do the original theatrical release from June 2008 or the DVD release from July 2009? Well, I, I feel like in accordance with tradition, we have to do theatrical no matter what it is. If you want to put like the, the home video numbers as a cherry on top at the end, like, uh, I can pull those. I I do want to say that in the 2009, the, the film box office, you've got two Galifianakis films in the top 10. You've got, uh, the hangover at number seven and then opening at number one future episode of this podcast, G force. Uh, the movie is that about that the hamster movie, the guinea pig spies. Yeah, I'd watch that. So, yeah, it's going to suck, but I'm going to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely no box office details for this movie. But Zach Galifianakis as a hamster, though, or a guinea pig. I could see that. That's is, that's inspired casting for sure. 
Is he playing the guinea pig though? I don't know, man. But if he is, then it works for me. I'll watch it. Like I said, it's probably gonna suck. But I'm just yeah. saying it's good casting. Like it's like, it's, who do we get to play a guinea pig? Fucking yeah. Exactly. Tracy Morgan is in that movie, I think. Like it's it's got a really wild cast. That oh movie. now I have to see it. Yeah, I know. You do you do love you some some Tracy Morgan. Um so the box I office do. for June 13th, 2008, opening at number one. It's a new release. We've actually covered this box office before when we covered the number one movie, past episode of this podcast. Uh, the only MCU movie we have ever covered. Get on with it, Stephen. On this podcast, it is The Incredible Hulk, opening at number one to $55 million. Eddie Norton's Incredible Hulk, yeah. Correct. I should note that, of course, out of the... Uh, over 120, uh, 125 entries on this list. Uh, Visioneers is nowhere on the list. So, um, well, in go. second place, uh, dropping from number one the week before, uh, animated film called Kung Fu Panda. Uh, mm. What if a panda People knew like Kung Fu? Yeah. Uh, speaking theaters when it came out. Oh, my dad yeah, is one of my dad's perennial favorites. Like my dad hated cartoons when I was growing up, but now that he's like an adult and doesn't have to reckon with children, uh, he'll watch cartoons all the damn time. Man loves cartoons and P- Kung Fu Panda, one of his that. favorites. That's it. Just, I feel like cheated though. Cause like during my childhood years, when I loved watching cartoons, he didn't want anything to do with it. So I feel, I feel a little gypped, but whatever. Um, in third place, we were speaking as we were of uh, Mr. M night Shyamalan, uh, the happening, the happening, which is, I think, the beginning of the end. Well, no, if, technically Lady in the Water. But what if something happened? What if what if? But that's the the great irony, of course, of that movie is that nothing happens. Yes. Mark Bro, Wahlberg's like, is that? What was that? What oh, was that? Was that your mother? It. Was that a chicken? Dude, that was like literally was one of the worst like cast movies I've ever seen. It's yeah. so awful. Like whose Something idea happened? was it to put those two together? Like the best, like, I the watched best that last to, year. It was awful. The best thing to come out of that movie is that Worst twist dir- ever was M night Shyamalan directs John Leguizamo in that. And then many years later, they would reteam to work on old about a beach that makes you should old. I watch God old some it. people be you telling should. me I, I mean, wouldn't like old and some people telling me that I would and like I saw it, it in theaters I like knock on the cabin I like that Do I it's watch standard old? I like it's standard the cast. for his works for me yeah and I'm not average so not bad I saw that I saw it at a very very bad time and I didn't time, realize so. I didn't realize how bad that movie was going to be for your mental state in that moment when I suggested it so like my my threshold again. My threshold for bad M night is the village. So it's better is it, than the village. If it's, okay. Well then I'm in. Yeah. I'm trip in. I honestly I think I like it better than Knock at the Cabin, honestly. Um old old slaps. I like old quite a bit. Word. And it's it's got a pretty good cast. Again, a lot of people Word. that you like haven't seen it, like Rufus Sewell's in that bitch. Uh Vicky Creeps, um, Diego Luna, like it's it's not Diego Luna. Fuck. I just fucked that up. Um I can't believe you've done this. I you know, I I fuck shit up. Uh Gael Gar- Garcia Bernal. Um it's his uh it's his um Mama Tambien co-star. I get those two confused more than I should. You love that guy though. I do. I love both of them. They're so good. Itu Mama Tambien's such a fucking great movie. Um oh, and that gal from uh, Jojo Rabbit and Last Night in Soho is in it too. 
Yeah. I like her a lot. So like if she's in that movie, I'm pretty down. I like guess. it's uh it's got the the kid from um uh f- the the kid from uh uh hereditary is in there too. Hereditary. Oh yeah. word. The yeah. gal what gets her head whipped off? No 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 the the her, her brother. Oh. All right, that's uh, cool. I liked him though. He was good. You got Ken Lung. Ken Lung's in there too. Like it's it's got a good cast, man. It's it's surprising amount of body horror in that movie. Yeah, weird. It's it's pretty wild. It's good. Old is that's, good. Honestly, that's kind of what I expected from it. Uh, you know, it's not I good. Think the the happening. No, dude. Nobody likes the happening. The happening. Not even Mark Wahlberg likes the happening. What if wind was scary? It's not. See, they made that movie and it was called Twister, and it fucking ripped. Uh, in fourth place, down from number two the week before, another Adam Sandler movie I actually quite enjoy. You don't mess with the Zohan. Um, I didn't see that one. I did not. I was expect, thinking I about. Didn't, I didn't see it for the longest time because I didn't think I would like it. I watched it recently, like a, a few years ago. It's actually really good. It's really fun. It was an Adam Sandler's like I'm gonna make a problematic movie, but then spin it at the end to be something wholesome. Like yeah, like remember uh 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 I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry uh, yeah to where they're I, like ah uh, yeah no they built the framework to where they're like oh but like we're actually on we're on team gay and like this is actually really progressive and it's like no you just needed like free license to like make crack homophobic yeah. jokes the entire movie and like right. Uh, but you don't mess yeah. with the Zohan. I think does a much better job of. I agree. Of threading that needle. Um, so, so that's yeah. a recommendation from all three of you. I'm the only one who hasn't seen this film. Should I watch the it? Zohan? The Zohan? Yeah, yeah. You're probably gonna hate it. But watch it anyway. I want to have an opinion. You guys, you're four uh, of you're three of like my eight friends. <laughs> nice. made, so it, like, made it to the top eight by I default i i respect your opinion <laughs> so like if, if there's three that's that's a that's a lot of people that i trust recommending it to me so it's, it's, even if you is, think i wouldn't it, like it i feel like i gotta it's check somewhat it out topical is somewhat topical given what is happening in yeah. israel slash gaza oh, I don't, right I now i don't think about that at all actually but it if I can have a spicy take, it is it's a pretty centrist, hands off. Hey, everybody, play nice, sort of take. It is. Instead is it going to make me think about that the... though? Because I don't want to think about all that stuff. It's just kind of like a. It's just if somebody you want to. It's a very contrarian politically, um, to where it tries to please everybody, while also missing the point. And like, of course, yeah, like it's an Adam Sandler's movie. I was going to say, it's an Adam Sandler movie, so you really shouldn't expect... You're not going to get like, a history lesson. ...to land, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's you're not going to get uh, an entire, like, 30-minute, like, rundown of the history of Israel and Palestine and all... But, like, I mean, it's a fun artifact from that time as well, as you know, as well as, like, what dude was doing and trying to figure out what the hell do I do with my career at this point. And right. Yeah. One thing yeah. we know that you don't do is you don't mess with the Let Zohan. me just let me just another hot take real quick before we move on. Please. I just want to say it publicly finally and that um Adam Sandler, if you're listening, I really need you to do a Bob Dylan biopic and like 
Adam Sandler playing Bob Dylan in his like middle age. Like we could have had it 20, 30 years ago and it would have been even better, but I still want to see Adam Sandler play Bob Dylan. I'd watch it. I think it would be fantastic. I'm still now, pissed you didn't take the uh, the the role of the bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. Quite frankly, right? I think he was too old. No, so? he just no because Tarantino offered it to him. Like he wrote it for him. Oh, is that for real? Oh yeah. shit. Okay. And Sandler was like, nah. And I think he was he was like committed to something else that couldn't make it's it. Like work, I gotta but... do Big Daddy. It was yeah, it seriously. wasn't Big Daddy, but it was something like that. And he he hey, wasn't God, able was to make that? it work. So they cast Eli Roth, who I don't, which leads me to think there was a fundamental misunderstanding of what bear means, but whatever. (laughs) He's kind of jacked in that. As jacked as Eli Roth could probably possibly get. That's it. But like compared to like you can see like three muscles. (laughs) Kind of, you know, popping off the top. You saw like a chest and like maybe a bit of a bicep. Yeah. Thanks to the wonder of AI. Yeah. You could have Adam Sandler as the bear Jew, thanks to the wonders of AI. Right now, de aging, and we could buff him up. God, yep. what a what a what a horrifying just, just put his head on Macho Man's body. Uh, round f- finalizing the top five, we have uh, the the sequel. Very few people were actually asking for at this point. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which in four weeks has earned over two hundred and seventy six million dollars. Um, dude. Also, uh, rounding out the top ten, you've got Sex in the City in sixth place, Iron Man in seventh. Remember Iron Man? Um, Do you remember in Ed Wood when the, good the review days. in the paper uh, and Sarah Jesper, Jessica Parker reads it out loud? She says, "Do I really have a face like a horse?" <laughs> and I just love that moment of that film because that's unfortunately. That's something that people say about her. I don't get that it. She does have sort of a, a horseish face, which I don't have an opinion either way. She's a lady and she's fine, like whatever. But uh, I just, I don't know why I thought of that. Well, Sex in the City is why I thought of that. But last time I watched Ed Wood, that really stood out to me. And I was like, wow. Wow. We just so ahead of our time here. Insane. <laughs> I'm sorry, Stephen. Continue. Uh, pardon eight- my tangent. And Sarah eight, Jessica Parker, you're a lovely lady. I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about what, you. What choice, what choice do I have other than to pardon your tangents, really? Because they're going to happen whether I pardon them or not. What are you going to do? So I might like, as well. If somebody's going to edit them out, it's going to be me. And you know I ain't going to do that shit. So I know. Might as well I know. let me ramble. I, might I, as well. I, I always do. <laughs> um, in, in eighth place, we have The Strangers, horror film The Strangers. Um in ninth place, the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, and in tenth place, what happens in Vegas? Dot, dot, dot. I don't even know what the fuck that is. That is Wait, the is that Ashton those- Kutcher, Brittany oh. Murphy rom com. I thought it was one of those movies where you got like Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine together Sorry. and like had them do something wacky because they're old, you know. Not Brittany Just Murphy in there. Cameron Diaz, Ashton Kutcher and Cameron Diaz. Uh, Also, that movie features playing a character called Dave the Bear, a little actor called Zach Galifianakis. You guys, that's the guy from the movie that we watched. We just talked about. That's the guy from the movie. You said he was going to be the bear Jew? Is that what you said? (laughs) Even Glorious Bastards? (laughs) No, 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 no. Now now we're just conflating shit. Now we're just being willfully obtuse. I think I'm confused. 
<laughs> you know. Um, I think Tucker's been disassociated there you, for the past half hour. <laughs> well, it didn't involve him, so of course. Entire life. <laughs> right. That's true. Um, anyway, uh, the Tomatometer score on Visioneers is a 67%. Um, no real critics consensus to speak of on this one. Also, no Metascore to speak of on this one. Uh, Metacritic can't find Visioneers when I type it in. However, Metacritic it does have a 3.0 on Letterboxd. Uh, Evan, as our guest, out of five stars, how are you rating 2008's Visioneers? You know, guys, I'd give it a, a solid 3.7. Okay. That's allowed. Right on. Brett, I, I guess yourself? on a letter scale, it would be a B minus. B minus? Interesting perspective. Indeed. Brett, yourself? I bumped it up a whole star to 3.5. All right, 3.5. Hey, hey, yes. Tucker, what about you? Um, <coughs> Excuse me. God, I edit that out. Shit. Um, your boy's going to go also with a 3.5? Uh, my initial was a 3.25, and our conversation today has brought it up a whole 0.25 of a star. And uh, for me, it's going to be a three. So that's fair. That's so fair. yeah, we're we're I'm going with the letterboxed average, uh, but that does give us a podcast average of uh, 3.425. So we'll round that up to a 3.5. But repeating, of course. and that's every fair group needs their bad cop. Yeah. Dude. But there you go. That's that is our episode on 2008's Visioneers. Uh, Mr. Evan Tui, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you for suggesting this movie. You've given us a lot to think and talk about. Uh, where can the people, the people that uh, are listening to this episode right now, where can they find you and your music? Should they be so inclined to do so? If you like my wiggly vibes, you can find me on the Internet. Uh, I make music. Yeah. The infernet. Uh, I make music under the moniker grand voodoo band. Um, I also work with Tucker in a band called the dismantelopes, which will be, um, be resurrected very soon. Uh, grand voodoo band is, uh, currently in the process of making a new album. Um, and there is no end date on that. So take that as you will, but, uh, hopefully soon. I think it's going to be a um, summer record. It feels like a summer record. It really does, though. It really does. Tucker's like my guy, my idea guy to bounce off stuff too. So he's good. Um, at that. He pretty much. He honestly has the closest picture to anybody besides myself about how this album's turning out. So I, I value him. I value his work with this podcast. I value you two for giving this crazy kook of a human being. Um, finally a constructive outlet to rant <laughs> about film to people who actually want to hear it and can put up with that um, over right. extremely long right. periods of time because I lived it's not with easy this man if you're not there, into it. it is not easy it's not easy living with a man this cheesy is, but... <laughs> I think it's more constructive than having him rant about it to me on a seven hour phone call which has definitely happened but um, I mean 
Look, Evan, that's the whole reason I got into podcasting is because my ex-wife got tired of me talking about movies. So I had to yep. start a podcast. Ex-wife, am I right, guys? Am I right? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> got about five of those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Between us, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, check out Grand Voodoo Band on whatever uh, – your listening platform is um where i'm also on facebook instagram tiktok youtube etc etc uh myspace linkedin so threads uh blue sky threat oh yeah um all of them all of them if you need a blue sky invite code i have several so just let me know yeah dude he's got them i as a musician love tech space social media platforms uh they're the best and i'm (laughs) They're the best, especially when there's 500 of them, all different, but all the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you, Silicon Valley overlords, for putting on this podcast. Um, (laughs) Amen. And um, it's it's been an absolute chaotic episode. It feels like, but it was a pleasure. And you are fine. An organized chaos, but yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. A fine group of tunts right here. Well, hey, that's the uh, best compliment one could receive. And I will, I will just a little, little spoiler. Um, next week, listeners, uh, when you tune into this podcast, you will get to hear some of Mr. Evan Tui's, uh music. Um, we'll we'll be we'll be playing one of those songs on next week's episode. I will give you no, no it's more on this context. Episode, silly, it's at the no, end of this episode. Yeah. It's the one we're recording right on now. Next week's episode. What's yeah. next week's episode? The one you teased on the "What Are We Watching" episode that we recorded before this one. Oh no! I'm fuck. I thought of the wrong thing. I'm sorry. I'm so the worst person ever. So he was teasing ever. the theme song, I believe. This is getting Correct. edited. I'm assuming, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, because yeah, because uh, uh, before Jimmy's like, "Oh, Tucker's the best, and we all love him," and I'm like, "Let me stick my foot in my mouth." All right. So yeah, so <laughs> get edited out. Sorry. Please continue. Pretend if you like want, I, I can just like anything. I can just briefly talk about the track. If you want, yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Anyway, like, d- yeah, I got you. So the the yeah the track uh, that I'm putting out uh, through you guys, which is really fun to be able to debut some new music. Um, finally, um, it's called Citrus Nights. It is the title track to the album um, that is upcoming, and um, it was actually a tune that was going to get thrown away. And I ended up coming back to it and taking a risk on it. And it kind of paid off when I added some synthesizers and a tight drum beat. So uh, it's unmastered. It's a demo. There's more. uh, There's a couple more pieces to it that I still need to throw down, I believe. But that's what demos are for. So I'm excited to let some people hear it. This is a sneak peek. Like, this isn't out any. This is the only place that you'll hear this until yeah. the record drops and we don't mm-hmm. even know when that's going to be so this you is literally, a literally it'll actually be a b-side exclusive it's the title track but it is it's going to be a b-side on a single that is tba uh on its release date but, but the song it, will be on the record folks. though right but this is the only place where you're going to be able to hear it until it is released as a single which is pretty exciting you you're so. welcome america and the rest yeah. of the world <laughs> Um, you heard it here first. Thank you. So there you go. And uh, look, our patrons already get to hear Mr. Tui's phenomenal music every week because he also composed the theme 
to our Patreon exclusive weekly show, What Are We Watching, which he guested on today. Uh, so that episode will be dropping on Sunday into the Patreon feed. It might be our longest episode of what are we watching? I think that's and check it out. It's phenomenal. Uh, If you are not a member of our Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash disenfranch pod, where for just $5 a month, you get access to literal hours, hours and hours and hours of don't front Steven days of content podcast galore. Um, Brett and I both have our own like individual niche um, podcast where we talk about the things that interest us. Um, we've got backlogs of film commentaries and distant five chives where we count down our top five favorite things in a given category. We've got unenfranchised where we talk about movies that killed off your favorite long running franchise, kind of the opposite of what this podcast is. We've got so much for you to listen to back there for just $5 over at patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Head on over there. Uh, while you're on the internet, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a nice, juicy five-star rating and review. And uh, just, again, doesn't have to be anything uh, deep. Just, you know, write a little something about what you like about the podcast. Uh, that goes a long way to helping other people find us as well. You can also shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing. Suggest a upcoming episode. We actually had a suggestion come in from a listener just within the last couple of weeks. So that is uh, something that I will be working on getting into the schedule as soon wanna, as possible. I want to know what it is. Tell me what it is sometime when we're not recording a podcast. Absolutely. I will do that Hell at some yeah. point. Um, yeah. You can also visit us on the social medias. We are on uh, Instagram, Blue Sky, Facebook, Letterboxd, at Disenfranch pod i your host stephen foxworthy hey that's me i'm on blue sky letterboxd and instagram at chewy walrus brett where can we find you on the socials these days uh that's me i am on instagram letterboxd and blue ski at uh, sus underscore warlock except for blue sky where it doesn't have the underscore because it wouldn't let me right so it's just all one word then on blue ski all one word Yep. Fascinating. Yep. All one word on the blue ski. Fascinating. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. And Tucker, where can we find you on the socials, bud? Well, as always, you can find me on the YouTubes. Uh, I'm I'm going to mention this now so that I have some accountability and maybe it'll give me some motivation to do it. But what I'd really like to do in the next month and a half is I'd like to realize something that I've called Christmas spaghetti. <laughs> and Christmas spaghetti is a song that I've Let have it about eating spaghetti on, get this, you heard about this? You seen this? On spaghetti. <laughs> on Christmas. No. Spaghetti on Christmas. You're a madman. No. Yeah. I know. And it's a whole song. Three verses, the chorus, you know, it can be sung and around. Is um, that how songs go these days? Man, they're doing some weird stuff with songs these days. Sometimes. I haven't written the bridge yet, but I feel like there's going to be one. But I feel like I really need to go all out with it. Like I need the shaky bells and I need a bing, boom, bing, bing. You know, I need kind of variations on every Christmas song trope. I I don't know. It's It just seems like it's going to be a big undertaking. Just know that me announcing it now means that I might not get it done, but I'll probably start on it. Okay. Well, hey. 
as as long as we can help keep you accountable, then hey, that's and look, that's all I'd it like takes. to get it done this year before Christmas. But look at it like this: sometimes when you start something and then you walk away from it for let's say eight to ten months, and then you come back to it, you come back to it fresh, and you turn it into something that you never thought it could be. Right on. Because I'm not, How I'm many... not going to work on a Christmas song outside of Christmas. There'll be no inspiration, no motivation. You can't. What am I supposed to do? A Christmas song in January? Yes, um, you could. Yeah. And then you sit on uh, it for ten months. And then said the only thing stopping you is you, there, man. But no, okay. Look, I, I will uh, acknowledge that I'm not a fan of arbitrary rules that people set for themselves. But this except for is... the arbitrary rules you set except for yourself, the fact this that I'm the, the exception arbit- to the rule. This is the arbitrary hill that I am willing to die on. <laughs> you can't do Christmas stuff outside of Christmas. You want to. Like, I don't get Christmas in July. Like, I want to because I want to feel Christmas, you know, but I just don't feel it unless it's November or December. Like, once Christmas is over, you got a little bit of afterglow until New Year's, but then, you know, it's just fucking January after that. Your summer Christmas spirit, or lack thereof, is showing. No, dude, I have no summer Christmas spirit. What about all those images of Santa playing golf in shorts? Are you going to deny that? I am. You're going to sit there and lie to me and deny that? I suppose so. The man exists outside of your winter wonderland. No, I agree, but he's not come. Why would he come in the summer, man? It's not Christmas. It doesn't matter. I'm on YouTube and I might drop a song at some point. If you motherfuckers are lucky. Um, also, I'm on Instagram mm. at the same. I-S-T-I-N-I-N-E, the number zero and the number nine. Uh, I also have a uh, a, a sort of a, a a cult page, you could say. Something that's garnered uh, quite the niche following. Uh, something we like to call Tuck Mugs. That's why did I say that like anyway uh, we have tuck mugs uh that's tuck underscore mugs and um look the restructuring it's happened we're all for the third week in a row now now. there's restructuring no the the synergy is there it's taking us so long because we're really we're really kind of we're working on making it the best it can possibly be. And you know what they say is that Rome wasn't built in the day. Do they and say I heard you ran out of cops. I can't I I still have my tulip print. <laughs> I still have my I still have my tweeds uh double R cup. You know, spoilers. I still have my Lake Tahoe cups, the one that, that feels like I'm drinking out of a toilet because it's porcelain. That cup. Mm. Mm. I've got I've got some in my back pocket. Like I've saved some up. Plus I've been buying more mugs. Tuck mugging. Yeah, dude. So it's coming together. It's just I'm really we're really trying to dedicate uh, ourselves to the quality. And sometimes that takes time. And gosh, wouldn't it be cool if anybody, somebody, please somebody be a guest mug uh so that we can kind of pad out this time while we're uh, letting our creative juices flow and, and mix together and make a, a, a jambalaya, if you will, of mug-based Instagram content. 
So if you want to be a guest mug on Tuck Mugs, uh, you can shoot us a message on Tuck Mugs on Instagram at Tuck underscore Mugs, or you can email at us at disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh, just send us a photograph of your mug. Uh, let us know where you got the mug, uh, you know, the origin story of the mug and what it means to you and what's inside of the mug. That's all you need. And, and deep, uh, deep in the annals of Tuck Mug history, there is a guest mug from our guest on this podcast today, Mr. Evan each Kimmel. one of us. Well, each of you has I'd like to done do it a again. Mug. You should. I'm going to do should. it again. Do it. Whether do, you like do it, it or not. Do it right okay, now. Shit. He's literally right begging now. someone to send him a picture of a mug. Please. So can, so really quick, really there. quick Look. preview. Does does this count? Oh, yeah, yes. we do. We do glasses, too. Yeah. He does I've glassware. Done, yeah. I've done. Um, my hand like is a beautiful glasses. ham's glass. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's that's mm. second generation BT dubs, you guys, because there was one time I was drinking hams out of it. Let them know. And we lived on the second floor. OK. And we were outside on the balcony and i was just having a really good time and i had you know he's about glass. to i was gonna say you know something stupid's about to happen because he's look, talking like this and look i had dropped that glass and then i had walked down there and it was in like seven pieces and so before i got back up to the apartment i had already ordered a replacement off ebay so like just smoothed that right over like we didn't even talk about it i was just like yeah i ordered you a new one the night just went on after that. Like your boy, sometimes your boy knows how to like just really smooth that shit over. And boy was well, I, I embarrassed. Fucked up, didn't I? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, fixed I this fucked up, and I know the I know the degree to which I fucked up, and I know what I need to do to rectify it. So I'm just gonna go ahead and skip the next five minutes of discussion. Now, now, Jimmy. Again. Now, Jimmy. <laughs> It'll be here in three days, man. Moving on. <laughs> now, where were we? Ah, yes. Oh, hey, that's no, a preview because that's got that's got to be part of the story now. We should do like a back and forth, like uh, like someone's interviewing us, and for the post, like we'll go back and forth about it. It'd be good. I'll get with you later. Just 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 get it to the in- intern, <laughs> intern pool as soon as you can. Yeah, dude, we'll get we'll get it on the internet's live All on right. the internet's. Well, that my friends is our episode. On 2008's Visioneers, uh, I think this episode is actually longer <laughs> than the movie. Um, is that oh, by like 40 than what are we minutes. watching? Yeah, yeah, and also longer actually, than the, what about are we 50 watching? minutes. Yeah, so yeah, uh, longer than the movie itself. But hey, that is a thing that we do. Um, so hey, this has been the Disenfranchised Podcast. I'm your host Stephen Foxworthy for my co-hosts Brett Wright Tucker and our very special guest Mr. Evan Tui. Until next time, a very Jeffers evening. To you all. Jeffers evening. Mm-hmm.